Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Music Lab podcast. My name is Dog, and I am so happy and excited to be here with Mr. Brian O'Boyle, formerly lead singer of Mr. Green Jeans, now lead singer of Just the Tip, and does the solo style stuff. Brian, welcome. Hey, Dog. What's up? It's good to be here. Great to see you. Absolutely, my friend. So we were just talking before we started. I have known you for 24 years, which is just mind-blowing to me. But let's go back to 1993, because that's when you guys became a band. Westchester University, let's go back 30 years, Brian, and let's start from there. 30 years. Good Lord. Yeah. It has been a long time, indeed. So, yeah, yeah. I Like, let's dive into that. Like, I want to start at the beginning. Like, you know, you, as a child, what at what point did you say to yourself, man, I want to be a rock star. I want to be in a band. Well, I, I was in bands when I was a teenager. I think about the first, I was 14. You know, Harry and I. I'm sure we'll get into Harry, you know, just like Absolutely. we're just two pieces. We were bonded. Like I've known Harry since first grade. So we were in our first cover band, I think, when, uh, when we were 14. So that was like 84. And, you know, we would. Before that. I think we just I had this love for pop music slash rock music and thought. And I was a keyboard player, so I wasn't like a front man. You know, we were keyboard players. So let's join a band. Let's put a band together and get a singer and be keyboard players. And, you know, it was 84. So to be in this cover band where we had two keyboard players and four keyboards stacked up, but we had our own little corner like we were, uh, you know, Rick Wakeman or or from Yes or uh, Tony Banks from Genesis where we had all these keyboards lined up to be able to play back and forth and he would switch over. Like that was, you know, just those first cover bands. But I will say it wasn't until I was 20, I was able to get in underage at a bar called Brownies in Woodland and Delco. And that story is just weird in itself. But I anyway, I was there late. I mean, they let me in. But I saw this cover man called Strangers Angels, and I just watched what was going on. And I remember sitting there going, that's the time I remember sitting there going, holy smokes. I think I could do this, and I want to do this. Just because I think all the other, you know, we had some cool gigs, you know, being in our little cover band before that when I was a teenager. And in college at Westchester, we did a few things, but it wasn't until I actually saw Strangers Angels playing this Stone Temple Pilots, like this, these, these, these alternative music at the time, and seeing the the camaraderie between an actual crowd that was into it and the band that was into the crowd, that just gave me this huge, huge rush. We're like, I don't know if I'm going to be good at it, but I want to try to do what these dudes are doing. So that was like, I, I do remember if there was ever a moment to be able to do something like 
green jeans that I did for so long and now JTT and just tip. It was that moment seeing Strangers Angels at Brownies. And at 20, you're at Westchester at that point, correct? Yep. Brownies. Yeah, because I didn't graduate till 92. So right. I was there. So, and this is the Brownies that was on the main line, like 23 East, or was that the different Brownies? This was a different Brownies. This okay. was one of the original Brownies in Delco on McDade Boulevard. I think it was called Brownies with Lynn at okay. the time. And then it switched. You know, they closed down and reopened as Ground Zero. If you saw us at Ground Zero, that was, you know, that was Ground Zero area. Then it became bootleggers, I think it was. So. Yeah, I definitely saw you at Brownies East, I think, for like a Thanksgiving Eve maybe show sure. or like holiday show. Something. That was in Ard. Yeah, that one, Brownies 23 East, was in Ardmore near yeah. Villanova and yeah. St. Joe's. Okay. So let's then, so Westchester then. So then how does the formation of Green Jeans then take a, you know, kind of, what's the evolution of that then? Yeah, with Green Jeans itself, um, you know, I would, oh man, you know, so it was Harry and I, the keyboard player, yep. the original keyboard player, Green Jeans, and we were in these little cover bands. And it kind of, uh, I think when the music started changing, if I were to guess, you know, when alternative music, not like the Cure alternative music, you know, that that was always there because we, but, but once that Seattle things started happening and then all these other bands from around the country started to get popular whatever piecing so let's see the best way to say it would be those songs when that music came out were a little bit more difficult music wise to cover and to be good at uh to the point where we were like all satisfied like these were just different they were written differently and so we just had some different members of whatever cover band we were in at the time, um, switching out, finding certain members. I remember the day Johnny Fat came over to my parents' garage to like audition perhaps maybe, or play a couple songs on the bass. And um, it was so weird because our, <laughs> I guess we forgot to tell our other bass player at the time that we were no longer gonna use him. So John was there. And he was talking about plush, like we were learning plush. And then here comes the other bass player up the driveway. And it was just very uncomfortable. Like it was, it's funny looking back at it now, uh, but you know. And uh, so I think once we pieced like certain things together, um, we had five guys. I don't think we were called Green Jeans, Mr. Green Jeans at the time. We did change our name at some point, but I think what we were doing was learning as many of those songs and that type of music as we could. Like building a catalog. Correct. Yeah. yeah. To go with all the stuff that we already had. Right. Um, to try to get in uh, to some of these bars in our area in Delco. Um, and Brownies with Lynn was actually one of them. And we knew that they were closing down and renovating into something else. But uh, I think the thought process was maybe we can get in there during the summertime when all the big bands are down the shore playing all these places that we never thought we would ever get into and get a couple shots at this Brownies place and get our friends in there. That was the key at the time, obviously, you know, to get friends to come and 
buy a lot of beer and so that the bar would have us back. I guess it's the same thing now, but um, but those those early days, it was just okay. Let's try to get a couple places, and 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 then at some point we just we needed a name that stuck, and then we so we just changed the name at that point. And those were those really early days, just trying to find places that you know there was those were the days of like the five dollar meal deal on Wednesdays where they would there would be a buffet and you could drink as much as you wanted for a couple hours. And, uh, or we would go to this place in Westchester called Margaritas and uh, negotiate with this, with the owner, Jeff, say, listen, can we do like 50 cent drafts for the first hour and a half? That'll get our people in. And then you can go in. So we just would try to just get, do whatever we could to get, you know, a couple of shows in. And then it was up to us. Then it was up to me, me at me at that point i was no longer a keyboard uh guy i was the front man by default actually because if i remember correctly i still just wanted to be a keyboard person and we couldn't find once that music change and alternative music modern rock started to hit we couldn't find anybody uh i don't know how hard we actually looked but i think it was just by default say hey, brian why don't you give a shot and so i kind of got pushed to the foreground and Harry stayed as the keyboard player. And then I became the front man and, you know, the experiment moved from there. Do, do you ever wonder if, because now, you know, in hindsight's 2020, of course, but do you ever wonder if you weren't the lead singer and you still were, would be the keyboard in the, in Mr. Green jeans? You know, I don't want to ask you, do you think you would have the same success, but like, what do you think the dynamic would have looked like? It would have been different. Absolutely. Because I, I I thought about that before. I think about it every now and then still. Yeah. Um, because it was by default. Um, man. I mean, if there was never really, looking back now, look at all these cover bands. There was never a cover band that had two keyboard players. I don't know how long it would have lasted. Maybe at some point, you know, our management when we finally got it would have said look this this is abnormal we gotta one's gotta decide or and somebody would have got pushed out maybe or maybe rick green would have been like this is cool we've never had something like this before but we gotta find a front you know front person man or woman doesn't matter and and go from there but yeah it is kind of weird where i look back at it now 30 years 30 plus years after going, man, thank, thank God that, that it was by default that these guys like, go ahead and give it a shot. And it was a struggle in the beginning. You know, I, I vocally, I, you know, trying to figure out how to do a Rage Against the Machine song and then, you know, play like Louie Louie. Like we, that was our set list at that point and trying to figure out how to get my voice to do those types of things. That's a whole another subject too, because you know, just vocally trying to emulate or just try to come up with your own way of, of doing cover tunes, it gets in your psyche as a front person, I think, at some point. Uh, and you gotta make a decision which way you're gonna go if you want longevity. In my that's my opinion on it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean to answer your question, I have thought about it. I I don't know how it would have turned out. It could have turned out completely different, and I could have just been the one that was asked to go 
And I wonder back then if I would have kept trying, it's like, well, let me put my own band together. Or I would have just went back to teaching because I had my degree. And it's, right. it's an interesting question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. And that's an interesting one. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, I, I'm glad that you touched on the teaching because, yeah, I mean, you could have easily fell back into a regular career. What made you stick, you know, stick with, you know, going with the, the band instead of falling back into teaching? Yeah. So I had taught, I graduated Westchester in 92. Yeah. And I just, I went right into the classroom. So I graduated in May of 92 and I went right into the classroom in September of 92. I got a job down in Cecil County, Maryland at Northeast High School and Northeast Elementary School. It was like a split deal. Okay. I was at each school five days a week, but in the mornings I was at the high school and in the afternoons I was at the elementary school. And um, I was there for three years and then I transferred to PA and got a job in Delco at Ridley School District at Amos Land and Edgewood Elementary Schools, half and half. And I had transferred up to PA because the band, Green Jeans at the time, was starting to play a lot more often. Okay. Wednesdays, Thursday nights, like during the week when those nights were still big in bars. Yep. They're not so they're not so popular now. But back then, Wednesdays and Thursdays were it, especially in college towns. Yep. And um, but I was playing till two in the morning and, and I was living out in Nottingham, PA. And so the drive, and I started falling asleep behind the wheel. I was oversleeping in the mornings where to the point where my high school kids at Northeast and Cecil County would take homeroom for me if I overslept and tried to cover for me. I mean, they didn't have my number to call me or any of those things, but they were doing whatever thing they could. And it just, it was too much. And then I had an incident like that uh, at the elementary school, um, my final year of teaching, 95, 96, in Delco at Ridley. And I had an incident like that where I fell asleep because I just hadn't been sleeping. And I woke up and I thought it was 10 o'clock in the morning and I missed and I was three hours late. And it turned out it was actually 10 o'clock at night. And that, I remember that to that. That was when I said, something's got to give. Now, I loved teaching, right. loved it. I loved doing the band. I wanted to do both. But at that point, I knew that I, I couldn't do both and I had to make a choice. And Rick, our manager at the time, our manager for the entire duration, I remember him sitting down with me at Cavanaugh's in Philly yeah. one time and just saying, you could do this full time. I could put you in positions to be in winning positions, it would just be up to you to win these people over if I put you in great positions, like, for example, opening up for Strangers Angels, who were the biggest cover band at the time, opening up for any of the cover bands that were popular, the first top three, yeah. getting Green Jeans to open, play 45 minutes early. And um, so it was that when I just kept struggling to try to do both jobs, that I had to sit my parents down and explain to them that I wanted to try to do a cover band full time and have no health insurance coverage, have no 401k or uh, 
it, it, you know, no uh, teaching, uh, retirement, anything. Get right. rid of all that. My mom was a teacher. She was like, uh, no, you're not. And then in the same conversation, I have to hand it to my parents because they all, I mean, my dad was an electrician. My mom was a teacher and they were both, they were both musicians to a degree. Mm -hmm. um, they played instruments in the marching band and my mom did play piano and they both sang, but uh, I have to hand it to them. I think uh, I was ex fully expecting them to say no and to tell me no. And I wanted to please my parents. And then, but in the same conversation towards the end, they were like, you know what, Brian, if you want to give this a shot, go ahead and give this a shot because I explained to them and it made sense to my mom that I said, mom, I'll always have my degree. If I screw this up, um, and I didn't know if I was or wasn't going to screw it up, or if the band just doesn't take off and I need it, it, you know, it's not screwing it up. That's probably a horrible term, but if we don't get enough shows and I can't pay the bills by just doing this, I have my degree and I can go back and find another job. It won't be easy because I've got a nice job, but I can do that. And then that's when, you know, they were cool with it. And if they were cool with it, I was going to give it a shot. Looking back on it now, if they were completely uncool with it, I don't want to say that I wouldn't have given it a shot. I probably would have stayed teaching a little bit and backing off the schedule and just doing Friday and Saturday nights to see how that works. Yeah. But I took, I had the shot and I took it and mm. here we are. <laughs> so, so what in the early days, obviously of the band, you know, just like any band, you know, you have struggles, you have, you know, issues sure. with owners, you have, you know, not getting paid, stuff like that. You know, was there a stretch or like particular situations where you felt like, man, like, you know, is this the right move or, or you know, because of those exterior situations, not because what you guys were doing as a band? Uh, I have to admit that we were extremely lucky in that once Rick Green saw us and at a Brownies Woodland summer show, like I was saying earlier, he just rolled in. Once he saw us and was just so enthusiastic about the band and his brain was just going a mile a minute in the conversations I had with him and him trying to, like he, when he explained to me what a cover band could actually achieve, I thought he was fucking crazy. I, it, it, it made no sense to me. It was not a reality, the things he was saying to me. Everything from compensation to how many different cities and towns we could play. And uh, you, you name it, uh, how doing it for how, as you could do this for the next 20, 25 years. Like none of that just made any sense to me. Yeah. So, but one once he was enthusiastic and we decided to give him a shot to be our representative, I have to say, perhaps maybe we had one of the most luckiest roads in those early days with Rick. Before Rick, there were struggles, um, not knowing, but it was also because I was teaching, Harry was teaching, and 
we needed to make a move. And some of the other guys did have second jobs, but not something as, uh, as intense. Right. right. Yeah. As something like that, where it was a kind of extremely uh, time consuming to do both. Right. Um, with Rick, I have to hand it to him. He put us in positions that other cover bands were starving to be in. And I think the parts, it's a weird, I think the struggle for us was, okay, guys, Rick just put us to give us to play 35, 40 minutes ahead of Strangers Angels, Steamroller Picnic, Love Seed Mama Jump, um, Shotgun Wedding, uh, Bonehead, like any of these cover bands, split decision that were just making their way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the armadillos. Yeah, God, I love those guys. And so uh, we have forty minutes to try to convince their fans that we were just. So I think that was that was our biggest. That was my biggest struggle as the set list writer, as the front man, whatever. And Rick just was like, "Look, if you can win these spots, then you're going to keep getting these. If you're not, then we're going to have to back off, and it, it'll be a lot harder of a struggle." I will say. You know, he we did have nights where it was just us, where we would be in these ridiculous towns and just, you know, having to sow our oats, I guess, whatever that, you yeah, know. Playing for four people. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yes, we had those. We had those. But with the times that he was able to put us in opening acts in these top five clubs, you know, let's just say the Chameleon in Lancaster, we yeah. opened up for a lot of cover bands there that was our shop. And so... It was just on us and it was on me, but it was on the whole band as well. Yeah. So was he part of Midnight Sun or when did Midnight Sun then come about and talk about that relationship you had or or, or was Rick Midnight Sun basically? He was Midnight Sun with his brother, Stu. Okay, right. And they had started Midnight Sun back in the late 60s or early 70s. And they were always promoters uh, is what they normally were. I mean, they they ran the Tower Theater and promoted and brought it. He's he's the guy that brought Bowie to America for the first time. He's the guy Rick brought Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath to America for the first time ever. Genesis and, too, right? Yeah, think, Genesis. Yeah, and um, I think he had a, a, did a lot of shows. Him and his brother Stu with Bruce in those early days. Yeah, um, but he he's responsible for the. David Bowie, Live at the Tower, Live Album, all of that. And so Midnight Sun was always that. I can't remember, and I don't really know the lore of when they actually started to switch to cover bands, but they were involved in cover bands before Green Jeans, obviously, with Strangest Angels. Um, The Flaming Caucasians were represented by them. Um, uh, I'm blanking on, but those two stuck out for me in the early days. with us and then you know they jumped on a bunch of others after that but rick was always midnight sun that relationship with him you know i i have to end it to you like i it was again this is going to sound uh repetitive i think but we were so lucky to uh have him be the guy that found us and that we decided to kind of work with there were other people that were interested um, but he also booked 
a lot of the top rooms. He was the Rick was the booker. He just laid the entertainment out for these huge rooms. And so it was another benefit to us. Um, and I, I and we never wavered. You know, I I didn't want to work with another management for the duration. We just stayed with him. Of course, there were ups and downs and disagreements. And there were times when, you know, we had band meetings throughout the Green Jeans duration where Rick had to sit us down and go, look, the club owners are saying that you are playing way too many music, way too much music that is not popular. You have to stop being so avant-garde, like so off the beaten path. We've had those meetings before where it's like, you can't just play, you know, a tool song that's not sober. You, you, it, it doesn't work like these bar. So we had those kinds of struggles throughout and, you know. And Brian, okay. how, like, how do you tell them like, that is what our allure is. That's what makes us. And Rick understood it. Like Rick right. got it. Gotcha. He's like, I tried it, but, but they, you know, and look, at the end of the day, man, we know it. Johnny Fat used to always say it. Johnny Fat, we were like, look, our job is to sell beer. And I, it, it always rubbed me the wrong way when he said it back then. What am I, fuck am I doing? I, that's what I'm doing? I'm selling beer? No, in my mind, what I was doing was trying to create a cover band that played music that no other cover band did and make it work. Um, and writing set lists that kind of took the crowd on a journey with different genres like it was unheard of back then to have a cover band play almost every single genre you had alternative bands you had party bands you had uh, 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 classic rock bands 80s bands but i i don't think you had a cover band that would play rage against the machine into jesse's girl by rick springfield um you know into uh, sublime sublime yeah. to the joker by steve miller band right you know into sticks or and then you know played freddie johnston or uh they might be giants right after that and, and yeah. then you know just a friend like a beatles tune <laughs> right so so you just it, it was and so that's what i was doing but john was right i mean looking back on it now like he got it and so um I can't remember the question now. I apologize. No, well, like, yeah, so, so the, yeah, like what, yeah, like, like explain how, well, yeah, I kind of, I kind of forget myself, so don't worry about it. Keep going. Yeah, I, I, it was, it was just, you know, those early days, <laughs> again, we were just lucky. Rick put us in yeah. positions and it was up to us to go ahead and slowly but surely, these fans that were of these other cover bands started to ask um, about the band and we started to get our own nights at yeah. those things. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think if there were any true struggles of Mr. Green Jeans, once we kind of got locked and loaded with Rick, mm -hmm. any of those struggles were more just kind of like within the band rehearsals, getting the songs right, figuring out, having different opinions on what should be done versus what wouldn't should be done and us trusting each other to take a shot at certain things. But I will say, look, man, I, I, 
looking back on it now, we were a full on rogue cover band. We did whatever we wanted. And I, and it wasn't like we did a couple songs or put songs in certain sets and knew they weren't going to go over. And I just stopped putting them in after a week. I, I was, I was brutal with it, man. I left those in the set list for months because they were great songs. Also music back then, you didn't have to just play the single. You could get away with playing songs that wasn't the single if you wanted to do it. Um, and we just did it. And it became kind of our thing uh, to a degree back then for a while. But then we, and then we, but then we just started to find ourselves and just, you know, did whatever we wanted. The question uh, was, yeah, the question was is that that um, the owners they were wanting you to play popular songs and you right. were doing your own. Like that's where that's where the line of question was. Yeah, yeah, and we did it. Like I, right. we had a couple band meetings where Rick had to break it down for us. Yeah, I mean, we had that issue in Dewey Beach, um, at the Bottle and Cork. Yeah, where the people that were running the joint thought that we were getting too deep cut, you know, during the jam set at that five o'clock thing. Right. And um, that we needed to change it up. And, and look, I, I think just in general, across the board, it always rubbed me the wrong way. I knew, you know, in the back of my head, I think I, I knew that we had to sell beer. Like if we didn't sell and the liquor sales and whatnot wasn't a mm -hmm. big number, they wouldn't want Green Jeans' back because Green Jeans wasn't cheap. You know, we were one of the premiums. And uh, once we got established and everything, but uh, it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way as a performer and as, as a musician where I was like, okay, they should just, I'm not going to tell them how to run the bar. Yeah. So I don't want to be told how to run my set lists. Yeah, correct. Um, and I think I have a better feel for the people that are right in front of me than somebody who's sitting in the office uh to a degree but you know that's you know that's an opinion kind of thing i guess and uh i did i did you know i do remember those times where i did change it up a few for a while months couple months you know maybe for a season whatever and just gave them what they wanted and then kind of snuck in you know try to get back to who we were every now and then within a set for like 20 minutes it's not like we would play 20 minutes where we did 20 minutes of cover songs that nobody knew like, right it wasn't We're sprinkling true. them yeah right exactly yeah <laughs> so so let's talk about the you know at some point you guys decided to do original music how did. did that come about being a cover band um you know i think a couple of us always wrote songs i mean harry and i were writing our wrote our first song when we were in eighth grade together so we always were writing songs yeah i think if you put a gun to my head back then when i was in eighth grade ninth grade tenth grade harry and i probably thought we were just going to be these huge rock stars and never play a cover song in our life and be on mtv like we just were the hugest ridiculous dreamers at the time yeah but look i mean we, we were 16 17 um uh, with Green Jeans writing songs, you know, so our first CD was in 97, Violation. So if I back it up from there, yep. um, perhaps 
there was a couple other cover bands I think that did some original stuff. Maybe it was Strangers Angels at the time that put out a song, and maybe we just started to think about what if we did one and adding one in there. Okay. Um, I really don't. I can't recall how the original thing started officially, but I do know that at some point we were like, okay. I mean, by '97 we were pretty established, right? Um, and so let's do something different. Let's do some originals and put a CD out and see if it happens. It was just a different time than it was now, obviously as well. You know, you put the CDs out, you go do those things. And so I think there were six or seven songs on this violation thing. And the writing part in the beginning was mainly just one guy coming in with an idea or a song already. And then us just. Fleshing it uh, out. Yeah. yeah fleshing right. it. And, and, putting our own little touch to it. Mm -hmm. But what was, I think there was always, the old, the struggle always became for green jeans, at least it was originals. In my opinion was we were so established already as a cover band by then that I don't think we knew what our identity was supposed to be as an original band. That was the one thing that you couldn't do. We couldn't, we were this cover band that were able to play all these different types of genres and be winners at it but as an original band it didn't work that way you had to figure out okay guys what are we going to be are we going to be a band that sounded like and i'll just name a few tunes that you're familiar with are we going to be a, a cover an original band that sounded like go away or are we going to be a an original band that sounded like um marionette or something harder like it, there was just so many yeah. different direction songs of different yep. styles you know is there, are we going to be a band that sounds like shot glass you know I, I we just didn't know so we just kept doing it um but as but as we kept going because we had ended up putting out three eps i guess at that point the writing stuff did change like we would all get in the room we would just start ideas from scratch more so than just somebody bringing in a complete thing or somebody would just bring in a riff or all that you know and then we would just go from there. I have to say, you know, it's like uh, the original thing for me, looking back on it now, like uh, there are songs that I do enjoy and there are songs that probably were better crafted at the time than we all thought they were. Now looking at music differently all these years later. But uh, I don't know if I ever gave it full focus. And I, and I can tell you, that I didn't give a full focus. One of the reasons was because I wasn't good at it. I just wasn't. Wasn't very good at writing lyrics at all. Um, I wrote a lot of instrumental music in those days. Okay. Lots, even like just on my own. But coming up with a complete thought lyric wise was such a struggle for me. It was not my forte whatsoever. Um, and then also being given a song by one of the guys to sing Again, I struggled with the identity. I didn't know how I was supposed to sing it. I'm like, okay, so am I going to be Eddie Vedder? Like when I sing Even Flow, am I going to be, you know, Liam? Like I'm singing Champagne Supernova at the time, or or am I going to be Kelly Clarkson? Yeah, that fast forwarding even more, but I, it was a struggle. For, or I was, or am I just going to be Brian? And what did Brian's original voice sound like? It was a struggle for me, and. Uh, I, it never, I never was able to give it full focus. I can honestly say that now because I was 
24-7 fixed on the cover band part of it and trying to just see how many boxes I could check before time ran out. I mean, I, I'm a realist. And so I always knew at some point, okay, this could end tomorrow. This is, uh, it could end tomorrow. Another cover band could come up and be the next whatever. And then we just get knocked down, for lack of a better term, and uh, fade away. So that's what I was fixed on. The original thing, it's not that I didn't dislike it. I didn't hate it. And I thought, and I still, I think there's some really cool songs and, but it was always a struggle for me for those reasons. Yeah. You never felt like imposter syndrome though, did you? Mm. With the originals? No, no, no. Just, just as, you know, as a, as a lead singer of a cover band, when, when you started to, to get success and, you know, like, mm. not, like, let's talk about like 1997, 1998, like that time frame. Like, did you ever feel like imposter syndrome during those times, you know, in 97? Yeah, I, I even, I don't, I, I personally didn't. Yeah. I, I knew I was kind of my own thing. I, I knew I was um, just a weird dude. Like, I, I just was an idiot up there. And like, I, I, I knew I kind of stuck out for a bunch of different reasons. I was never the best singer. And to this day, I'm still not the greatest singer. Uh, but I, I know because I guess my theater background, you know, also finally, I think just because I, I, I am extremely a shy person and very quiet off stage. I always have been. And I was extremely shy. You know, it's very cliche, but I wasn't just extremely shy in college and uh, in high school I was. And then finally something in me, you know, was able to let go a little bit once I got in green jeans and singing these songs and just seeing what it could actually be. Like I started to feed off the crowd immediately in those early days. And so uh, I never felt that I was mimicking somebody out there that I was kind of copying somebody and just going to become like this, whatever the opposite and ended up happening where others out there years down the road kind of, I mean, I don't know. I, I I guess maybe it's it's hard not to to a degree if you're in a cover band and trying, you know, to. I mean, I know what it was like to say, okay, well, how can I be like this band and this cover band, whatever. Um, we ended up playing a lot of the same music as those cover bands, um, but I never really took anything from those other bands except for you know a handful of songs, right? To to also cover. So I no. guess uh, from a fan perspective, and I, you know, it's it's always tough to to speak about yourself. So I'll do it for mm. you. So for me, your stage presence, you know, how you interact with the crowd, how you get the crowd involved, whether it's bringing people up on stage, you know, whether it's you know pointing them out in the audience, um, you know, whether it's climbing on the roof of the rusty rudder, you know, yeah. climbing on the speakers, you know, like these right. are all like epic moments and people don't forget about that. And I think that's what made you, you know, the, the, the lead singer that you are and I, you know, that you still are today, you know, and I know yeah. that's tough to, or to take that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm unco yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's, <laughs> it's weird. Uh, it's <laughs> 
uh, it is uncomfortable to be, you know, sitting here while you're saying those things. But then, then also, now that you're done talking and I don't have to hear it from, from, uh, like I, I do generally understand and get the joy that was brought and the joy that is still brought and how pumped people get by my idiocy. And I will say that till the, till the day that I'm done because I get off on it too. Like it, it is, it's an equal mutual thing. Um, I get off on myself being able to get up there and just create things out of the thin air with the songs, with the atmosphere, with the movement, just you name it. Like I love doing that. And maybe, you know, I was, I was never built to be in an original band, to be, to be, to create things in that manner, create things in the manner that you're speaking of and, and being from a performance aspect and, creating uh you know a night for just one person out there that you know because those people that come to see to get out you know they're 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 going people go see live performances because they love it but uh, but there's also a huge percentage of people that are going because they're escaping from something it doesn't need to be something bad but they're just leaving something else and want to be put in a different position to take them on some sort of journey. I, I don't know if every musician actually gets that. Um, I really don't know. Uh, I would tend to think in my experience, there are some that don't uh, and it's unfortunate. It's a bummer, yeah. um, but that's what it's about, man. That's what it, and that's what it's about for me too. Like just taking chances in the middle of the night, with well, like some of the things that you were talking about. And I, I appreciate, I, I know you're a fan and I, and, and the thing with you is uh, you're one of those people that I know is also a music head. And so you're not, you're not, you listen to music differently than some other people do. Not that there's anything wrong with the other people, but I know I have people that just, it's like, oh, well, I can't tell the difference between this band and that band it's just i'm going out and so for you to say that it means a lot i mean it means a lot to me with anybody but for someone that's a music kid that actually um you know because you and you've seen the band so many times for so many years and seen solo and other things that you know you're well within your right to go you know what yeah, they're not as good as they used to be or slacking off or with those things like that. They go, so for you to to say that now, after all these years, it, it does mean a lot because it's why I'm still doing it. I mean, I would just be doing something else right now if I didn't still feel so into what I'm doing and that I'm making a difference out there still in the music world. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk about... Um... Like, I want to know for you, like, at what point, because it is, like, for a cover band especially, when you're playing at a venue where most of the people there are, like you said, are just there to escape, they could care less who's playing. Like, it's mm -hmm. different where you're going, paying for a ticket to see the band that you're going to see. At right. what point did you feel like in the crowd where the majority of the crowd at these venues was were coming to see you where it wasn't just, you know, you're the background noise. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Um, and 
to pinpoint an actual year when things turned, it did turn around pretty quickly for us. Okay. Um, but so I would say, so, so we started playing the Jersey, the Jersey shore and all these other venues, Jack's and Avalon, the ocean drive and sea isle, Fred's stone Harbor, the bottle and cork and Dewey beach, the paddock, the party block in ocean city, Maryland, all that started in the summer of 95. 95 okay okay but at the same time um despite us starting in 95 um it was never a uh full-blown uh, reaction yeah yeah right yeah and so at some point by the second season because i would say by 97 98 uh, perhaps we weren't the top cover band i mean and, and, and look no matter how you want to say it how you know how genuine or humble you want to be or whatever the bottom line is in what we do for a living with cover bands there is a top cover band and then there's bands that are on mm -hmm. there there's a, just just a list it just yeah. is what it is in different facets um but the green jeans hype became quite legit i would say absolutely by our third season of actually playing those shore towns because what that was enabled us to do so if we were playing it by the summer of 97 what it was what it enabled if we were doing our job correctly which we were thankfully it enabled rick to then not just have us be a philadelphia cover band we started going to baltimore we were able to go to dc right. you know we were in dewey beach and these these kids, these people that were these patrons were from D.C. and Arlington, Virginia, in Ocean City, Maryland. These people were from Pittsburgh. Right. We were able to go to different markets once Green Jeans became a legit thing, like an established, not opening for other bands. We were one of the top tier premium cover bands and we were able to branch out and play other markets. Yeah. And then again, it was just up to us to keep being who we were and my job was just to keep being as unpredictable as you possibly could and give these people something different so that they wanted to keep coming out and ask wait when's green just coming back to pittsburgh now whatever this with these guys we didn't get to go to ocean city this summer but i want to go see this band again so that's i would say by 97 98 it became a legit thing for sure and when did you guys start doing the index cards with your schedule on them? Because they are, I like, I, when sure. I watched your uh, your video, like that reminded me of that. I was like, oh man, I was like, I looked forward to those cards because that was all Rick. That was all Wednesdays of Sunday, like five yeah. days a week. <laughs> and those cards, uh, I think Bill Diamond was the name of the gentleman who ran his company that made those cards for all of the cover bands back then those oh, started right from the get-go they they started from the get-go um uh, i don't know if we had had them in 93 but by 94 we definitely had those cards hotline you know the hotline to call for the schedule was actually harry's home landline <laughs> in the early days um and so but yeah those cards are iconic i i still have a bunch of them they're just amazing to see well and, 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 and were at times yeah, and and to tell your kids or to tell anyone under twenty five that that was the way you how crazy is that, right? Yeah, like 
that's no how internet, you, no. you you put your you know your your mailing address right and you got them in the mail and that's how you knew when your favorite bands were playing yeah it's great it's crazy. crazy crazy yeah so so let's talk about some of these venues at the beach at these beach towns for me mm-hmm. obviously right away we're going to talk about the party block because <sighs> the if start if, with the top you start with the top because the big kahuna party block was three bars in one it was on 17th street in ocean city maryland mm-hmm. ralph uh for years was you know took care of it and you guys mm-hmm. on monday nights for for how long 15 years 12 years from 95 to 2012 yeah Every Monday night, ladies and gentlemen, these guys would rock the party block. It we would look forward seasons. to it every week. There was 17 weeks a year, right? So 17, I think 17 seasons. Oh, so, 17 seasons. Okay. But so basically from summer. May to September, you guys played there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then every sometimes week. Fridays, sometimes Saturdays, but almost always Mondays, right? And it was yep. And it was the only, the only vertical that green jeans ever did in our 20 year history. The only vertical we ever did. Interesting. Yep. Never and did. The birth, and the birthday cake is still there on the mm-hmm. ceiling. Many of the birthday cakes <laughs> are still there. Rick wasn't, I don't think Rick was a big believer in verticals for us, which in turn really rubbed off on me. I, you know, as far as my solo stuff and whatever to do verticals, it was the, it's just a different philosophy that we both had. Uh, but that was the only one we did. And I will say, man, did it work out. It really did. Those shows were just epic. Like, absolutely. You know what's weird? In the beginning, the first two summers, we started off playing on Tuesday nights. Oh, and really? Ralph, yes. And Ralph took us to dinner, took the band and Rick to dinner one night and lobbied for us to switch after two summers to Mondays. And the band was like, Ralph, we just spent two summers building every Tuesday in town. Now you want us to switch to a different day of the week. We were nervous. And he, it was like Rick talking to me about, you know, quitting teaching and doing the band for me. Guys, it's going to work out. You just keep doing what you do and let us handle the rest of the part. And it will work out. And so we took a shot that third summer starting on Mondays and for the rest of the duration, it was every Monday night, all summer long with a, a Friday, one Friday sprinkled in yeah. maybe once a month. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah, I never made it to Jack's. Um, I never made it to most of the Jersey Shore places. So, you know, mm-hmm. give, give the audience and, and me myself, like, you know, what were those venues like playing them? Like, you know, just your experiences there, like sound wise, crowd wise, just, you know, it's, yeah, it's interesting because, so because you're familiar with Ocean Ocean City, Maryland and Dewey. Yep. So the bottle and cork in Dewey beach, the rusty rudder, Dewey beach, just, you drive down the road a little bit and you're in Ocean City, Maryland and the party block. Um, The Jersey shore there was like these three towns, there's these four towns, LBI, and then a little lower, you had Sea Isle, Avalon, Stone Harbor. And then you can add Wildwood if you want there too. Right. And even between LBI and Sea Isle, you can add Summers Point, Ocean City, New Jersey, because there was a time. 
but those but but really like the big three for the duration the big three was sea isle avalon stone harbor for green jeans it was the ocean drive in sea isle jack's place in avalon fred's tavern in stone harbor and those were the big three the difference between one side versus the other side of the Cape Mary Lewis Ferry, <laughs> Cape May Lewis Ferry was, Shout that, out. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you had more people taking the bridge over from Sea Isle to Jack's, from Sea Isle to Avalon to come see Green Jeans, um, where they would stay in their own towns on the other side. The difference really, really was with the, the bars. Those three bars were, I guess, technically smaller than the ones on the other side okay um the ocean drive was a lot it was a lot lower roof you know just as as far as the aesthetic goes it's a yeah. different stage they all had three it was different stages the vibe was different i have to be honest i wrote different set lists i i wrote different set lists um just for a green jean show at the ocean drive versus the green jean show at the at jack's place even um, I wrote different set lists for the party block versus the bottle and cork. Um, but over there on the Jersey side, it was a lot. One of the differences was it was there were so many more Philly people at those. Gotcha. You know, we saw we saw our local people there much more in the summertime than we did in Ocean City, Maryland and Dewey Beach. And um, so it was more but, of a homecoming than kind of in the summer for for Jersey Shore where. Yep. In Delaware and Maryland, it was more about meeting new people. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, like, you know, it, it was Philly. So it was Phillies fans, Eagles fans. Like, that was the yeah. Jersey. Because we didn't really go. We did play the North Jersey Shore a bunch. Like, once you got to LBI, you know, it wasn't as much Philly people. Mm -hmm. you, you had a lot of North Jersey and New York people. And we we had, you know, we had great success up there as well. Mm -hmm. But the the big three that stayed for the duration from 95 to 2012 was, you know, Sea Isle, the OD, Jack's Place in Avalon, and then uh, Fred's in Stone Harbor. So of all of the venues that you've played, and, and this this is an impossible question to ask, mm -hmm. maybe, but what, what was your favorite place to play on a regular basis? You as well, an artist. On a regular basis, yeah. if I had to choose one, for me as a performer, I would say the party block. I would say okay. the paddock. That stage and the way it was set up. And the pit. And yeah. and the pit. And you know what else, though, man, is that it was a Monday. It was always, and every Monday, it was the end of our work week. Because right. we always had Tuesday and Wednesday off. And I remember talking to you guys sometimes before the show, and you'd be like, dude, I am so exhausted. And I was exhausted. fucking on empty, <laughs> on E. Yeah. My lot, the bar had already gone past the E right. line on some of those Mondays. <laughs> and then I would get up there at 1020, and DJ Larry Love would start playing yep. that song, What People Do for Money. And, he would, and, it would, and the beat would come on, and you know that first set was never really packed but it just juiced me up and i i found a way every monday night to find my voice and to find enough and so uh, and, and that stage i will say that was like on the regular now after all these years that that bar it doesn't exist as the party block anymore right. 
my second favorite stage and my second favorite venue is the bottle and cork and do it. I, I mean, to be able to be on a stage that large and to be able to have access to all of those people, like that's what for me getting, I mean, there's also something you said, I get off on really small intimate stages as well. But to pinpoint it down to, to a couple venues that were, that are just, you know. Iconic, yeah. Yes, right. for me as a front man would be those two. You know, I, I, I'm one of those people where my philosophy a lot of times is, uh, and it, it kind of makes sense to choose those two venues, those two kinds of stages is, these people in the front, they're already in, they're locked and loaded. <clears throat> Not that I need to convince them of anything or win them over. Right. Um, <clears throat> Or, or to keep um, paying so much more attention to them. I'm more about the person all the way in the back that I can see on those two stages to get them to stop talking to whoever they're talking to mm -hmm. and to turn around and just get a couple head things by whether it's something I say on the mic, a song that we decide to do, something ridiculous that I do, whatever, to get that. that. I'm always, for me, even to this day, there's two things that are at the top of my philosophy of what I do. It is always about the next song. Always about the next song. No matter whether I'm doing a solo show, full band show. As I'm playing a song, my brain a mile a minute, because I don't write sets anymore, as far as solo stuff goes. is And when I do write sets for Just the Tip or Green Jeans, as I'm writing the set lists, it's about, okay, well, if I'm doing this, what's coming after this? How am I getting, it's about then solar shows. I am constantly thinking about what to play next by looking at the crowd, seeing the person in the back, whatever, or something I know that's going to seamlessly go in to the next song from where I am already. Yeah. That, that It's about the next song and it's about finding that person all the way in the back that is, you know, kind of, Maybe they're not always there, but trying to get them mm -hmm. there, yeah. even if it's just for two songs or yeah. one song. Yeah. So that that's a good segue. So let's talk about, you know, being a solo artist versus being in a band. I would mm -hmm. think accessibility is one of the things that is an adjustment for you, because when you're a lead singer uh, on a stage with a band, you know, you don't have as much access as a fan, but when you're solo in a bar and, you know, people are requesting songs and coming up to you, like, how, like, was that an easy adjustment for you or is that still something you're adjusting to? No, I don't know if there was, I don't know if there was a actual adjustment. Okay. I remember it, I, I do remember it feeling quite different. Like once Green Jeans ended, in April of 2013, and I decided, you know, and I started just doing only solo shows for a while until I started to piece together just the tip. Um, it it was different in everything that you just said. Mm -hmm. um, you know what? There probably was an adjustment period because it was solely on me. I wasn't really writing set lists. I was just going with the flow, and. Uh, there was probably a learning curve for sure, but also back in the early days of my solo stuff, it was the, I think the, the music aesthetic was still in that 
for example, one of my first gigs acoustic wise was playing on Tuesdays every now and then at Barnaby's right down the street here yeah. with Joe Tutlow, with Tutlow as a duo. And then it turned into a duo with me and Harry. And we would do really obscure tunes. Like I would do a band of horses song and it would work because there were people and, and it, it, it wasn't like my acoustic shows of now. My acoustic shows now are gotta go, let's go, let's roll it. And it's probably um, uh, a monster that I created on my own uh, nowadays where that my acoustic show is kind of unlike your typical acoustic show, solo show, but I still love it. Um, there probably was a learning curve to some point of the, of the difference between the two. I think the biggest thing was I really, I rarely wrote set lists. And what I started doing was actually putting out a request list where people actually choose what they wanted. And then it's not that I, if there was something there, I wouldn't do those songs right away. If I was like, oh yeah, I know that song, but I'm going to wait. That's when that I sent, went back into my own creative. It's like, I'm going to wait till I find the most opportune time for that song yeah. to fit it in. Um, so I think that might have probably been the biggest thing. But you are right. There was also this difference of being so close to everybody and how that would change maybe, how I thought perhaps maybe that would change my ability to be a performer. Mm -hmm. Also, though, I was never able to take the guitar off. So I couldn't actually be a front man from a, a lead singer of a band. Yeah, that's Because true. I, was, I had the guitar on the entire time. Yeah. And so that it didn't hit me till just now and you just and as i'm talking i was like okay so yeah i had to learn how to reinvent myself with an instrument on at all times to still be the poor the performer that i wanted to be right animated the whole thing different whatever so yeah so so yeah i mean was there uh i mean you kind of alluded to it so maybe that was the answer but why not do a set list for your acoustic shows compared to, you know, when you did that with the band? Yeah. It's a great question, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think I just thought that or just assumed, okay, solo shows are going to be much more loose. So okay. uh, I, I, maybe because in the beginning there was a, because what I was coming from, I was coming from this green jeans monster vessel that was had that had so much um like it, we had to deliver every single night there were so many working parts that it needed to work all the time couldn't afford to have a you know a slow night or an off night or whatever i mean they happen right. but right. in my mind we really couldn't afford it to the solo thing where it was so loose and there was really no structure in my mind in the beginning of it. There's structure now, uh, but in those beginning things, but there really wasn't just like, just, I'll just go with the flow. But, I, but I'm glad that it, it, it was like that for me in the beginning because it, it helped me to kind of be even more avant-garde where even if there's no set list, I didn't have four other guys behind me um you know and an agent you know demanding certain things and the bar demanding certain things 
I was just playing little rooms acoustic to give it a shot to go with the flow. But then it it did turn into this this acoustic monster vessel as well, which is just awesome. Like I, I love it. Yeah. So how have you know now that you're playing acoustic now, how have and you're playing obviously different venues than you're mm-hmm. than you were as a band, you know, how is it building relationships with owners of these venues today compared to how it was back in the day when you guys were in a band? Well, in a band we have management. So I, I was, okay. I, Fair enough. I wasn't, yeah, yeah. I wasn't involved in any of it. It was all yeah. Rick. And, um, but we were there, you know, through all those years, those 20 plus years of green jeans, you know, we got to have relationships with these owners because we were there. Right. Rick wasn't at every one of the shows. So, but as far as the business end of it, I stayed out of it. And so after the fact, I decided I was going to try to do the solo thing or whatever. And just, and if there was going to be any band stuff, full band stuff afterwards, I was just going to do it on my own, give it a shot. I screwed up a few times in those beginning years. Um, even with like the first green jeans, uh, reunion show uh, on so? the, on the, on the business end of it. Like I, how, it, how so in, in that what I thought was a, what I assumed was a good deal for the band and representing our brand and what I knew we were worth. We just, it didn't, I wasn't too secure on it. And looking back on it, coming out the other end, um, I'm much better at it now, knowing absolutely what the band is worth, what I'm worth, what just the tip is worth and able to have dialogues with promoters or over to to show it and to in the end prove it um that's just me was just me trying to be a rick green on my own in the beginning and there was just bumps in the road regarding that um but now to answer the question though post it when you know i didn't have booking agents and management so i was doing it on my own uh I've been extremely lucky and I, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I have been so lucky in that it, even from the get-go, it has been rare all these years post-green jeans that I would have to reach out to somebody to try to book a schedule. I always had people come to me and and again, it is, I'm so, it's so humble to do that. But so if people came to me and want me as a solo act or as a a, a band and whatever, you're in a different position than uh, an agent or any musician right. trying to call up and hit up venues to, to get a slot. Say, hey, give me a shot at your bar or whatever, things like that. So, um, but there is something to be said, like, like you were, alluding to in the, in the question itself about just having relationships with these owners. I mean, that's, uh, I, I'm a big fan of working with pros, honest, um, uh, professionals that do that part and don't try to swindle you for lack of a better word, because there are people out there still. And I, I, I won't work with them. Musician-wise, venue-wise, 
promoter-wise, it doesn't matter the dollar amount. It doesn't matter an opportunity. I, I, I'm lucky enough to be in a position now where I will not work with those people. I just won't. Yeah. I'll pass on it. I don't need it. So let's uh, let's kind of uh, transition a little bit to a little bit more happier times. So let's <laughs> go back to when you guys were because you were named the the rock band of the Eagles before the Phillies 2008 run, correct? Or was that after? Whatever year the link opened, I want to say it was 2002. Okay. The, the so first year. The, so yeah, whenever the link opened, that's when we started playing the link at the pregames. So yeah, I, I mean, tell the audience about that experience and like how yeah. that came about, man. I mean, so, so I'm going to talk about it as a, a personally. You know, yeah. I think the for green jeans as an entity itself, but I, I am a huge Philadelphia sports fan growing up. My dad used to take me to Phillies games. We sat in section 270 or 276 at the vet first base side. My mom loved Pete Rose, you know, all that. We didn't go to many Eagles games, but we watched Eagles games all the time mm -hmm. on TV huge sports fan um so whenever the link opened and they started having entertainment inside that promenade area um i think the first season they had different bands each each home game so there's eight home games and then it turns out the second season if i'm remembering correctly we just became the band for all of them and stayed the band for the duration um um i just lost my train of thought did oh. you play then until the third until you guys retired then as the as the eagles band yes we did wow till, till yeah. 20 or we till 2012 yeah at the link every year they have we have wow. our own banner and like the whole thing and so for me being able to be now i don't even know if they have entertainment in there anymore they just have entertainment over at xfinity live on that stage for right. pregame but to be in the link to be like an Eagles employer. I mean, they were so they were so amazing that once we started our second season, the second season playing the second season link and doing every home game, they got us legit jerseys, asked us what number we wanted on the back. We got to choose our own number. And then they put green jeans on the back of the jersey instead of a name. Uh, and they, they comped us these amazing legit jerseys. Still have it today, still wear it. And um, they were just so great. So be able to do that at being such a big sports fan, but it being the band for the Phillies during those run trumps. You there? Yep. I'm here. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I had yeah. a call. Just Very good. Uh, it, it, it just, the Phillies are my team. Baseball is my thing. So are the Eagles. Like I'm a diehard Eagles fan too. Um, but to be able to play those shows of your home team during the World Series, just take that one because they, we were in the playoffs for five years. But to be able to be responsible as an individual, as a frontman of, 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 of a cover band in a city like Philadelphia, that your job on Citizens Bank Way before right. games four and five 
of the 2008 World Series to pump up all those people where the, the ballpark is literally less than 100 feet from your grasp when you're on the stage. I mean, I, I couldn't have asked for a most amazing moment for me personally. And so let's just get this out of the way now. Best show you've ever done. Top of, hands down for me. Yeah. Playing those World Series, those NLCS, NLCS pregame shows and those World Series shows in 08 and 09 takes the cake for me personally. I'll never have another opportunity in that the way that that panned out right. to be able to be, it was my job to like pep up the city, so to speak at this time. And to have an opportunity like that, like I thrived on that shit and it just, um, it was, it was just amazing. Like I, it's hard to put into words, but it made my day. And to be able to, I, it, it, one of the perks was I was able to actually get tickets and to go to some of those games. And, um, Take a moment. You're good, man. To be able to stand next to my dad. And my brother, Jake. Um, in 08, when we won the World Series, was, I can't ask for a better memory. And I and I only was able to get it because of Green Jinx. So special. And today I'm going to game with uh, with my brother Jake. And my dad's unable to go, but if he was, he would be right there with us too. So yeah, but he'll be watching it on TV. Go Phillies, right? Go Phillies. <laughs> but yeah, that, just to be able to do those. Apologize, I didn't I didn't expect that one to catch up on me. But to be able to do the those those Phillies things and the Eagles things just means or because i was such a huge there were guys in the band that weren't the biggest sports fans but still it was a great opportunity but for me and just to be able to like oh do i have it and then when we won also the phillies were so gracious enough when we won the world series to let us be a part of the parade fest festivities right. and to then play you guys got to play in the stadium in the ballpark Crazy. on the pitcher's mound yeah. as a pep rally before ever and and here's the, the greatest part i'm now, now i didn't think of it but one of the greatest things for me ever in doing what i do for a living in my entire career being some dumbass doing other people's music is that parade we would we would do gonna fly now green jeans would play the rocky theme gonna fly now the whole thing and i would sing the parts but uh, once we won, and if I knew that there was a chance that we were going to be able to play inside the ballpark for the ceremony, everything mm -hmm. pre him. Yep. So if we, and I remember saying, if we did do it, I am jumping off the stage during Gonna Fly Now with the wireless mic, and I am doing a lap around the outfield, a wall during that, and wave my rally towel across it. And I jumped the fuck off that stage during Rocky and ran into the entire ballpark around the infield and outfield, waving my rally towel to all those people, giving them high fives, even though they had no clue who we were. But I did it because it was the only shot I was ever going to get a chance to do it. And uh, it's one of the memories that will stick with me for the rest of my life.
so do you guys have recordings or anything video of those shows of like the there world is, series shows or like yes the... there's lots of video i have tons of photos but so many people back then like that was the thing I, actually it was the first i think 07 or 08 was the first year that the iphones came out okay. and so there's a lot of video but also a lot of people that just took i mean i have got cd-roms over cd-roms of from 07 through 12 2012 of of footage of us at all those those amazing opportunities yep is that something that you've thought about as a band releasing like at some point like you know it's some sort of maybe you know it's interesting (laughs) because i think all the video is from the fans perspective Oh, so a lot of it is is probably distorted because they're so close. There is some great ones, you know. Okay. I have a friend that that had put put everything together like on a DVD actually to have it. As far as releasing something, I think the only thing that there was ever um, professionally done was our final show, Green Jeans' final show at Xfinity Live that night. To release, we were going to release on DVD, and the sound there was a mix up, there was a delay unfortunately when it was recorded after the fact and it was it was unreleasable so just gotcha. couldn't get it done okay. but some of that but i have to, i have to be honest though uh i don't know if i would have wanted to release it because i even though i have got footage of it there is something to be said like i'm not one of those guys at concerts that will take out my phone and record a lot of things I, i'm not the biggest fan of it again live in the moment we to each his own. Yes. I just want it to be left in the moment is I have it, you know, and there are photos that I have and that are online. Um, but I've got lots of video. And so, you know, I got it. If I want to take a look, go back. So I want to talk about some particular um, events, you know, because uh, holidays were a big deal for you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Your Halloween costumes were. Yeah. East- epic uh talk about that talk about like you know some years that you guys did you know share the audience what you guys did for halloween and you know even saint patty's day you guys were always doing something what was the event that yeah. you did for saint patty's day um we would well we would go to Claude shamrock Club. right the, oh shamrock like- fest right shamrock fest yeah. down in dc um it was always a couple different venues but yeah we would always get dolled up for saint patrick's day obviously um Halloween was big, but then we also did like um, towards, I don't know what the first year we did it. Maybe it was during that Phillies run, 08, 09. We started to do actually all, strictly all 80 shows, green jeans, all 80 shows. And we would go to the nines with our costumes with all 80 shows. We did some at Brownies 23 East. We did some in Arlington at the Clarendon Ballroom. Uh, But Halloween was big at the Clarendon Ballroom in Arlington. And uh, I think at one point, you know, during the early ones, we would all just like dress on our own, just be the individual. And then it became like a group thing. Right. And we just went all out. It's weird because we went all out, you know, like Wizard of Oz, everybody, the village people. The Adams family was good. The Adams family. <laughs> Star Wars, I think, was one of our last one. I think yeah. we had a picture of us all in Star Wars over there. Yeah. Um, to the nines but what was interesting i gotta say one of the coolest things was that we would always play the clarendon ballroom on halloween but there was one year that there was an home eagles game at 1 p.m the next day so at a 
on a Sunday. So at 1 p.m., Green Jeans had to start at 10 o'clock in the morning. We had to be there by 8 in the morning. We okay. played till 2 o'clock in the morning at Clarendon Ballroom. So we had to be at the Lincoln six hours. Um, and some of them, some of us drove straight to the link and just slept in our cars, somebody. But but anyway, I remember whatever we were that year at the ballroom, and I don't recall. What I remember is Halloween was was the 30th, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and the Eagles game was on Halloween, the 31st. So we had to come up with some sort of costume. We couldn't perform the Eagles thing in what we whatever we were dressed up as the night before with okay. costumes because with jerseys or whatever. But Timmy, who is just an, the drummer, who's just an incredible artist, drawing and whatnot. He's like, let's just be Kiss. Let's do Kiss faces in green, in Eagles green and silver and white and black. And he, we got there early and he put all of us in our own Kiss faces. So the four Kiss members and I think our fifth guy uh, if it was Joe Marion on the keyboards at the time, I think I don't think it was Harry. It was Joe Marion at the keyboard. Okay. He was he was like the Eric Carr or one of the other different ones. One of the regular Kiss guys left, and we were all Kiss faced in Eagles green with our Eagles dress. And for some reason, that one really sticks out because Timmy did such a hell of a job, and it was so awesome. Like that was just it was just cool. It was great. But yeah, Halloween's were a big deal. Yeah, and New Year's too. I mean, New Year's. I mean, you guys did the Gaylord. I mean, you guys have played the DC shows, right? The yes, Big Night yep. Out, right? Yeah, big, do... big night, big night DC, big night yeah. Baltimore. It was the Gaylord for a bunch of years, and then some of the hotels. The you know those those New Year's these were huge. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just financially as well, and just I mean, just a big yeah. party, right? I mean, compensation was big. Was big. Yeah, they were they were big nights. Big yeah. nights. So let's talk about when harry left the band mm-hmm. obviously as your best friend since first grade you know what was that like what was that do you remember that conversation when he came to you and said hey like i can't do this anymore or like how did that come about i'm listening i just want to fire off this my brother's texting me about the yeah, I'm <laughs> still doing this so with harry again so so just so everybody can really grasp it Harry and I started playing together in 1982, okay? Meaning, what does that mean? That means we both got keyboards one year for Christmas, and we just started doing every assembly at the junior high, every talent show, playing together. Whether it was learning Beat It by Michael Jackson, uh, you name it, we would just, Axel F from Beverly Hills Cop, just, we would just, that's what, like Brian and Harry playing keyboards at the assembly. Uh, if there was something where we had like a special guest speaker come to the school, they would have Brian and Harry play keyboards in the beginning to just whatever. So that had been since 82. And uh, Harry and I started Green Jeans together. We formed it together. And Harry actually did leave once before 05. I can't remember the year. Okay. But um and I think it was once he got married. Can't really recall, but it it only it only lasted um, maybe less than a year, and he came back. Um, that was early on, but 
by the time 04, 05 came, I think that's when Harry's last year with us was, um, his kids, his twins, were old enough to actually start to go to school in the daytime. And he knew his life was going to switch because all before that, they were home a lot. He was able to be home with them. Um, and it was just time for him. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I do know that he and I had very much a lot of conversations about it and it and it it tripped me up a little bit in the beginning because I didn't uh, I've been playing with him since 82 and our camaraderie is unparalleled in my opinion um, with each other. We just know each other like the back of our hands and we form together. I, I think it shows. Um, and but I knew he needed I knew he needed to do it. I didn't have all the stuff that he had. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. You know, he was fine with going back to teaching. I wasn't ready to do that yet. Um, and I'm so, glad you said that though, because I think that's important because yeah, you know, for someone like you, who's never been married, who's never had kids who, you know, right. that to how do you like relate to that? You know, it, because. Right. I, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he was, he was my best friend, but, you know, and he was saying things that I, I, if I stripped it down, I couldn't grasp. Right. But I could see the look in his eyes. I could hear it in his voice and I could tell that it was ready. And I think because he already left once for, uh, uh you know, and, and then he had a change of heart, thankfully, and came back because that first time was brutal on me and Rob, actually everybody, but it was extremely emotional night the first time. The second time it was emotional as well, um, but um, we lucked out by, you know, hooking up with Joe Marion and him just, I remember having early discussions with him and what philosophy is or was and moving. Um, but, you know, it was, it was something Harry needed to do and I am, all the more lucky that at some point as fate would have it it brought him back brought us back together with just the tip and because he wasn't the original keyboard player in this new entity that i was doing post green jeans but he eventually became it and um but we never stopped playing duos and everything and so there was never really a stop with harry and i i mean those times that I get to do things with Harry, even to this day, even as duos, it just, it's something special for me. I, I know that, you know, musicians, and I do catch myself sometimes just being on automatic pilot. It's just natural for us at times um, to be able to just sit back and think that Harry and I have been playing together for over 40 years now. Like that blows my brain wide open. But at the same time, uh, you know, when we still do it, we just did it recently, do it like it, it's just everything to me. It just takes me back to I think that's what it is. It takes me back to being 16 again every time I just do a duo jam with him. Even when we with just the tip shows to have me to look over my left shoulder and have him there and then have him come out and front. And then I'm back at the keyboards while he's front. like it's just something that has just been so normal for so 
long when you take it away. It's a crusher, but I can't be selfish about it. He needed to do what he needed to do. And I completely respect it. You know, he's my boy. Well, and I'm glad you said that because again, for someone who's never seen Mr. Green Jeans, mm. the one thing too that kind of set you guys apart is that all of you would take turns singing. You weren't just the only lead singer. Johnny Fat sure. would play songs. You know, Joe Joe T would play. Timmy yes. would do his thing. You know, like Joe Mary. Yeah, all five he, of us. All yeah. five of us. And and uh, and. Uh, well, and talk about that. Like, was that how like important was that to you guys? that you all were involved or or did that kind of just come organically no i think it i i will i will admit that i saw other cover bands and realized that there wasn't another cover band where every member did something even if it was just one song um i could be wrong but i don't recall seeing that. but for me i think at one point uh with harry covering a handful it was to give me a vocal break in those early days obviously yeah um but then realizing that every guy in the band could do something it was just another box checked that was different for mm -hmm. the people yeah. well holy shit so the lead singer is now just going to go off and johnny fat's going to come up and they're going to do a nine minute version of number 41 by yeah. dave matthews the bait like it Okay. And it worked and it worked. And then, you know, Joe Tutler would sing a couple songs in Harrywood. And then for Timmy to come stay at the kit or for me to get behind the kit yeah. and him to come out front. It was it was just another like kind of little let's do something else that's just kind of different. And um I, I I will say I I think maybe I pushed some of those guys to do more fronting than they really wanted to or that they were comfortable with. Yeah. Um, but I never wanted to put anybody in the band in the position where uh, I that they felt like they were were making the show suffer um, or it was a lull. Um, I was always trying to pick the best songs and that were winners for people that were that if it, if it wasn't me or if it wasn't Harry um, and just like no brainer tunes. And look, I'm not gonna lie. It was also to give me a vocal break, still, even towards the end. Yeah. Because I had many vocal surgeries throughout those years, and uh, so I struggled with my voice from time to time. Um, but um, it was a cool aspect to have all five guys to front at any given time, if I wrote it in set list that way. Yeah. So I'm going to share with you my mm. favorite covers that you guys have done over oh years. this is great then, i love this and then i want you to then okay. share with me you know in your mind and, and if and if some of them are repeats that's fine you know like we can okay. agree um so i'm gonna i'll start okay this is fun the first one for me and again as you know i'm not an eagles fan i'm a Sixers right. fan i'm a phillies fan but i'm a rams yes. fan right correct but when you guys would do mr brightside and the E-A-G-L-E-S in Mr. Brightside. Like, mm -hmm. I still sing that song that way. <laughs> like, I, it'll never escape me. And like I said, I'm not an Eagles fan. Like, but, even but, in your head, do the Eagles chant as as, yeah. as you're hearing the killer spray Brightside. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, ingenious. Like, who, like, were you the one that came up with that? Or who came up with that idea to do that? You know, I have to, a lot of things that, that I 
out of just idiocy or or okay. it came up with. I mean like the F words and rich girl or what but yeah, Eagles chant doing it, you know, once we became the Eagles the the the, the band, I think I just found tried to find as many songs where I could do the chant okay. in a tempo that would work for it to happen. Um yeah. So yeah. All right. So next one filter hey man nice shot you guys absolutely just pummeled that song like at like damn like i love that song <laughs> i think if real quick just on filter yeah i think that's got to be up there for me too even though we don't do it that often anymore but we did just recently do it we brought it back for this recent reunion show at the bottle and cork this okay. past August. is we never ever covered the original version you're right that's so, correct ever there was a remix that this dj at the tide in lbi played i think he was dj mo green we were up there like played every other sunday or something okay. and there was this and i was like wait what is that beat and then we just heard this in the bass line and i was like holy shit is that filter what remix is this so he told us I don't know how we found it. He might have got a copy for us, but we never did that whole remix. What we did to do finally do the song was took that, did a little bit of the intro stuff, and then a little bit of our own stuff and came up with that version. Like I have to be honest, like if we did the regular version, I don't know if that would be in in one of my top covers. Gotcha. I love the version that we do. Yeah. Because it's just uh, there's something special about that that version. Yeah, there's there's just an intensity to it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Timmy doing just a friend. I mean, mm -hmm. good lord. You know, yep. Like enough said, right? Up on the <laughs> when kid. your drummer can do a '90s rapper. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and for him to just like hover above his drum kit, which was one of his things. Like that was one of the th Timmy wasn't the original drummer of Green Jeans. But one of his things that sparked us was that he would get up off of his chair yeah. and stand up on his kick drum and just hang over his cymbals and swing back and forth during, you know, whatever song he was doing in his other band. Yeah. And then he would do it for us during Pink Floyd and whatever. And then it was like, hey, man, let's get you a tune that you can get up and do that, but actually front instead of sitting and playing and fronting. Mm -hmm. So when, if I wasn't playing the drums when Timmy was fronting, he was up there doing something before he actually had to play the drums. Yes. But yeah, Just a Friend would be the perfect uh, example yes. of that. Um, rooftops, but only at the Rusty Rudder. You know, okay. we got to see it, yeah. you know, through the deck, right? Or even the bottom cork too, right? Fair enough. Um, break Even by the Script. Wow. Like, I love that song. Like, that is such an underrated song. And for your register, and I think you're like, your voice like that that song just fits you perfectly is that is that fair to say it is fair and i think it's it, it's might even fair to say like there's a list of like 10 tunes maybe like for a duration of how long green jeans have been together that if you're doing a green jeans show if you mention the band they're going to list 10 tunes right africa is probably going to be one of them correct and i think that break even will be one of them because not a lot of cover bands did the song and that was all johnny fat I remember Johnny Fat saying, dude, there's this band called The Script, this really cool tune. I think it's great for your voice. I think we should do it. And and um, 
then the rest is the rest. But yeah. yeah, I agree with you on that. And I still do it almost every acoustic show because I get yeah. asked for it almost all the time. Yeah, that's it is crazy because they really yeah. like haven't done anything and didn't didn't he like didn't one of the band members die? I want I want to say of the script. Yeah, maybe not. Don't... They're an Irish band, right? Yes, and we only ever covered one more song by them. Uh, all these times I hung for for the first time we did okay. that. I think that might have been the second album after that okay. one, and it worked for a while. We didn't know, some, but but this we don't do it now okay. break even is still the is the jam yeah and yeah. to your point when you said you would drop f-bombs you in yeah. that song you would be yeah i'm all fucked up but you're okay yeah. like, but only yeah the last one i would never do it every time correct right yeah i'm all whatever the, the it, see that's the thing i don't even remember some of the original lyrics now of these tunes right you know uh change them through the years but yeah i think it there's three times three courses and i don't say the f all fucked up until the third course the very yep. last year. Yep. yeah yeah and then two more um and you mentioned it earlier um when when johnny fat does 41 like that mm -hmm. song you guys that song is so good obviously but like to really you know, again for a cover band to do a nine minute version song of anything like it's just sure. pretty un unheard of sure. uh and then you know i'm gonna say this one uh fix you by coldplay like you guys okay. absolutely yeah. just like fix you on at the that's party. an emotional was, one of course yeah that was one of the the highlights for me every week was when you would do fix you so what do you got what are your favorite those covers are, that you would do those are huge tunes man they're big ones <laughs> well let, 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 then let me just start off i mean it's so tough to really think but as far as huge goes uh so U2 and Green Jeans is something that for me, you can't have a Green Jeans show without any U2 music in it. You just can't, like from the get-go. So that being said, um, and you know, it's weird for whatever reason, um, Just the Tip doesn't do much U2 at all. Um, but with Green Jeans, like where the streets have no name yep with or without you bad those three i would say if i had to count and guess right green jeans probably has covered 30 or so u2 songs through the years those three and when i mention those three songs i i just picture certain venues um and certain groups of people, yeah. even though we played them for the duration. Like nowadays in, re in the reunion show, we really always do Where the Streets Have No Name with Amazing Grace as the intro. Like that's the big one because it, it's tough within a, a reunion show and when I'm writing the set list, I'd love to do one U2 song in each set like I used to do back when we were playing four or five nights, six nights a week. But there's other tunes to be done. Um, but with or without you, was the final song that Green Jeans ever played before any reunion shows were even a thought. Like at Xfinity Live, inside, for the VIP show after the outside show, With or Without You was the very final one. With every former member of Green Jeans at the time that was there up on stage together. And uh, 
that was at Victory Beer Hall, correct? It was. Yep. Yes, it was. Yep. So we for me, there. Yep. the U2 stuff is 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 favorites for me. Um, it's such a long span, but like, you know, if if I'm gonna go old school and try to maybe take it, Love Spit Love, Am I Wrong is a tune that Green Jeans just opened up with for years and years and years and um then stopped doing it um that was a, a big one for me i think just because of the nostalgia of it mm -hmm. it was never really a big song on the radio at all but um it was just something that the band clicked with and it, it kind of came one of those first early tunes that was um kind of our thing it's like, oh, Green Jeans plays this obscure song with, and they didn't even know, they didn't know it was called Am I Wrong. People just kept asking for it. Can you play Lay the Blame on Love? Play, play, play the Blame on Love. And the song was called Am I Wrong because that's what the chorus was. Right. Um, so that, them, you know, uh, I, I would have to say I loved playing Jamiroquai, Virtual Insanity. Yeah. We didn't oh. do it that long. I mean, I guess we did if you look back on it probably longer than I thought that was in the mix for us. But I loved that. And Harry just nailed that piano part. So that would stick out. Any Oasis tune for me, man. Like, I'm just an Oasis fan, yeah. as you are. You yeah. get that. And so um, any Oasis song for me to this day. You know, there are... I will never get tired of singing or performing or hearing Wonderwall, ever. Like, I will do Wonderwall twice a night. Still to this day, it will never bother me. I love the song. I love singing it, and I love hearing it. Um, so, yeah, I think it, the big, it's it's really a hard question that you're asking me about choosing, but you too, it just has to be in there. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So let's get to <clears throat> let's let's you know fast forward then to 2013. Okay, we well, I guess it was what. The fourth quarter of 2012 is when you posted on Facebook about, hey, we're deciding to hang it up. I think it was, I think it was August. August. Yes. Yeah. August of 2022. That then the spring would be the final shows. How did we get to that point at that time? And who, like, who was the real spearhead in making that final decision? who was the spirit in the final decision? I to mean, say, it, like, it, we're not, you know, like we're, we're not doing this anymore. It was me. It was uh, without going into a lot of detail. I remember us having a rehearsal at Johnny Fats house. I don't really remember what disagreement it wasn't an argument there it was just like a disagreement possibly it's about something musically whatever i left the house i was driving down the road i turned around went back went in the basement and kind of just vented and in that vent said i think i'm just done here i didn't know what that meant at the time but it was me Looking back on it now, I know how I felt at the time. Here's how I felt at the time. I was burned out. Um, and when I say burned out, I mean the crowd, the people, which never, ever 
rubbed me the wrong way, which never, I never got frustrated at, no matter what anything. I started having those feelings. I was getting frustrated at the people for asking the most normal, regular questions for me between sets, like about whatever, like, and I would be, I could find myself snapping and it just, I caught myself after the fact doing this. I always said from the beginning that if I ever felt like I wasn't having fun and it's, I mean, I, I think that's obviously cliche because athletes say that and everything too, but I, I really did have that philosophy. I wasn't going to do it just to do it. Um, I don't know why. Maybe I thought that I would be able to do something afterwards. I, I don't know. I don't know if I had that um, uh, um, plan. Yeah, right. If I had that, yeah, 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 the courage in myself to think that I was be able to do something after green jeans uh, to a certain level, but um, I was the one that first vocalized that it, I think it's time for us to think about ending. It it would be right at a twenty year mark, which is a good number. I don't want to be a band that just keeps playing just to playing. There were other cover bands out there that were playing, still playing just to play. And you could see things dwindling in all of the as aspects of it. I didn't want to be in a cover band like that. Um, and you were how old at that time in 2012? Uh, 42. Now? <laughs> 42. Okay. 42. Okay. Yeah. I was, right. was going to say 32, but I was 42. Born in okay. 1970. Yeah. Okay. So I was 42 and um, been doing it since 92, 93 before we actually got the name green jeans but it was the same guys to a degree 93 and so, so when you say all this wh yeah. who is in the room and well, is well, their reaction it was the, it was the band it was just so the everybody's in the band okay the whole band's okay because we had just had a rehearsal or something and i turned around immediately nobody had left yet and uh the reaction there were some not happy reactions at all uh confused reactions i think one or two one two maybe possibly saw it coming um and then one even said after the fact i don't know how soon after but I, one one member said to me uh you know man i gotta be honest thank god you said something because i've been feeling like this for like the last year so i'm glad you said it and i didn't say it <laughs> i thought that was it was kind of funny at the time and interesting um but look man when you're doing it that long for with six nights a week for a long time you're going to get burned out to a degree but for me as a frontman and just vocally and having so many vocal surgeries and also i mean honestly people always like would love to ask go so what fight did you guys there there was never like this band fight there really wasn't were there disagreements along the way absolutely were there times that we butted heads where well, I butted heads with certain members of the band for duration and not other ones? Absolutely. And others, vice versa, whatever. We're in a fucking rock band for Christ's sake. Right. So <laughs> yes. It's not but, Anna um, Green. Yeah. It's not Anna Green Gables. Like stuff's going to happen. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I had, I had felt it and I, I just spoke up. I could have kept quiet and kept doing it for a long time, but I think, um, I realized it at some moment that I had already did stay quiet. I'm like, man, I, I had felt like this longer than I thought I did. And I've stayed quiet and kept trying to make it work. And 
you know what, man, I'll be honest and say it. You know, everybody knew it. That everybody knows that at one time before I stopped drinking on the regular that I was a tequila guy, you know, do shots of Patron and da, da, da. And I was doing, I was drinking more than I normally would towards that time. It was another thing. It just, yeah, I was indulging too much in a, a lot of different things, uh, but mostly Patron. And I wasn't happy, man. Wasn't happy in the band. Wasn't happy being it. And again, it wasn't like, I can't fucking stand this guy. Like I, 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 right. It's time for, it wasn't that. Right. It right. was just the entire thing. I was spent. Yeah. So, so do you, and it, it became, it became a, a, a much more calmer to answer. It came, but became a much more calm discussion. We had several of them okay. to figure out what we wanted to do here. I gave the band the option of moving on without me saying, Hey, you don't, you don't have to, you can get another front person, whatever. There was discussion about that. There was discussion uh, about doing that with a new front man, but calling themselves a different name, whatever. And in the end, after a lot of discussions with management and Rick and everything, we just decided that we were going to plan out a way to say goodbye um, and try to hit every market at least once until the final show at Xfinity come that April, where's the date? Uh, April 23rd. Yeah. April yeah. was April 23rd, I think in 2013. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So you make that decision. It's August of 2022. When you're reaching out, or obviously I guess you might not know this, but when Rick, I guess, is reaching out to these venues saying, Hey, these are going to be the final shows. Yeah. Like, did you have any owners that reached out to you personally that were like, yo, man, what are you doing? Or like, you know, or, or did they question you at all? Or was it all support? No, I didn't have any. Again, it wasn't set up that way, really. Okay. Where I had like phone numbers and things I mean, like Ralph or anybody, somebody that you knew for that long. Like what like what was his reaction when you found you know, that's he... that's a good point. I did have a conversation with Ralph afterwards because it happened. We we had dropped it on. um MySpace at the time, maybe sure. it was for, we had dropped it on uh, social media early in twenty August twenty twelve. Yeah, it was Facebook. Just, yeah, we had yeah, it was, was it was it yep. okay? Yep. Just before a paddock show, so what we were down there. Yeah, and um, I remember Ralph and I having a conversation. I went in his office. He was like, "Hey man, come on, come on by," and um, look, I I think it would be only natural for any venue owner um that had green jeans as much as they did and had such a great relationship with the band to kind of go Oof, okay green jeans is ending uh so how does that affect all this you know what i mean yeah you know yeah. so um but yeah ralph and i had a, a conversation i was honest with him and you know i i think any whoever i did speak to at the time they're going they're not going to be like you're a fucking idiot nobody ever said that it was like hey this is how you feel this is how you feel now they might not have been in agreement agreement with it at the moment right meaning like you're still riding this huge high wave why would you give it up and you know it it's hard you can only say so much and tell person tell tell everybody how you actually just feel about how you're just you're not into it anymore despite it being this huge huge still smooth smooth running machine where in my mind it wasn't very smooth 
at the time. Like I was struggling up here between my ears. So um, with sticking in the band and, and, and still trying to have fun. Right. So, well, and, and if when you're playing six nights a week, you don't have a chance to like escape, like, you know, or, or just like take yeah, any I, time for yourself. Like you, you pretty right. much were in the I hamster did everything wheel. I could. And like, right. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of that. I've always been a bit advocate of, of taking time and self-care and even those early days when it wasn't even spoken about that much nowadays as it is. But, um, you know, there are days where, it, yeah, it was a huge deal for me. And I was already involved. I had a nice schedule of that going on and trying to escape even after a six night run. Um, but still it just, it all, it all got to a hit for me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Gotcha. So, so then that leads to this solo career. At mm. what point after the retirement of the band did you decide to do the solo? Did you feel like this is a viable option? Do I go back to teaching? Like, what were your options in your mind, you know, say three or four months after, like, you know, everything had kind of settled, like the dust settled? Yeah. I will say that I did think about it beforehand while we were piecing together the whole final run of Rain Jeans of what I was going to do next. Just a part of me did. But then there was another part of me where I was like, you know, I'm not even going to concern myself with it. Whatever will come, will come. And then there was another part of me that goes, Brian, you will find out once you leave this juggernaut of an entity, what your true worth, value, brand on your own is with all these, with the people and the owners and the promoters you'll then know when you're not attached to a mr green jeans um so i always i i was doing solo show acoustic shows every now and then before that i probably okay. started them in 20 2008 2009 2010 every now and then okay so i knew that that was an option for me to do um i don't really recall if people started to reach out right away once green jeans had, had um announced that they were ending mm -hmm. um about doing certain things but i did say to myself i could go back and teach if i wanted to but i had been out of the classroom for so long yeah. wasn't sure i always knew i could put my name in it i mean honestly i thought i could put my name in as a long-term sub and people just be on the list and people could call me and i could just go sub and get back in to do it that way and learn my way back into the classroom mm -hmm. since it had changed so much after all those years um but I kind of just winged it, man. I really did. We got done in April. That summer of 2013, because I keep all my gig books, you know, I do them hard copy wise. So I buy calendars and, and I look back at that first gig book in 2013 that I bought and see where I was. And, you know, I wasn't playing the starboard yet. You know, I was doing a lot of private things, house parties, pool parties birthday parties weddings like uh, you know once i was freed up from green jeans that was one thing that really took off for me on the solo side i was extremely accessible for private events whether they were house parties birthdays weddings just in general you name it because with green jeans i had to i couldn't say yes to any of them unless i asked four other guys and a manager and if we had off that night now it's extremely accessible 
for the private jam thing. And that thing just skyrocketed. So um, I didn't really have it to answer because I didn't have a plan going in, except I want to fuck around with playing solo shows for a while and go from there. And it wasn't until I don't remember who <laughs> asked. I think it might have been Power Plant Live. And the guys and, and the guy that ran the booking down there said, hey, if you ever want to do something again. No, you know what? It was Ralph. It was Ralph at the party block. So now that I'm thinking Ralph. about it, it was fucking <laughs> Ralph. He's like, listen, you ever want to do something here? You will always have a home here. You have done so much for this bar. And I was like, Ralph, you have done so much for the band. He really, that bar put us on the planet of cover bands and being able to stretch out to play other things. And I will forever be indebted to him and Robbie. And so he was like, you always have a home here. Whether you come in here by yourself, I don't know how that works, but we can figure it out. That's exactly what he said. And he goes, or you come in here with other musicians, you will always have a home here. So just let that be what it is. Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, I want, that was, you know, fast forward to the summer, because that conversation was had during the summer of 2012. Fast forward to the summer of 2013, and there was a band called Modern Bliss from Delco right around here that um rick was in contact with me about i think perhaps or maybe they were and having like modern bliss at the party block featuring brian O'Boyle from green jeans and it was a year later and i would just do a i did a two shows with them that summer at the party block i didn't front the entire night because they had their own front man but i just was up with them and worked out a deal that they were compensated for there and that i was compensated for my part of it within ralph and it worked. So that was kind of like the beginning of it. But then afterwards, because I feel you might even ask this question next would be, there were some promoters and other people down the line. It was like, hey, if you're ever putting another band together, I'd be interested in doing something. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm not. I, I had no interest in putting another band together. And it wasn't until people, I would get a handful of those requests. And I was like, okay, what am I doing here? Like, am I um, choosing a whole new band or it's like, no. Like, and then someone would say, well, I don't know, we could call it like Brian O'Boyle and Friends or Brian's All-Star or whatever. You just put a couple of I've got this cool event, meaning like I got a St. Patrick's Day event. Yeah. Do you want to put a couple of guys together and come down to Power Plant Live and play it? I think what or it was like, a, you know, I got the Muddy Muddy Boston's coming down to Power Plant. Can you put some people together to play an opening set? So it kind of started that way. Mm -hmm. We weren't called just the tip. We were called Brian. Like I had no name, man. Like it was always like Brian and friends or Brian O'Boyle with whatever, or Brian, Brian formerly of Mr. Green jeans with, with, you know, musicians. Like there was just stupid, you know, labels. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until we ended up going down and playing, um, in, uh, at sup dogs at the event, uh, at, uh, doggy jams yeah in north carolina in north carolina yeah. ecu greenville guy that runs this hot dog joint down there right off campus big trendy college place puts would put this event together called doggy jams you would have cover bands i think 
Kristen and the Noise went down there one year, three Tokyo went there. This guy that ran it was from DC. So he knew of Green Jeans and he had wanted me down there for a couple seasons, but I didn't have a band. And he, he, he was one of the guys that emailed me. He's like, hey, if you ever put somebody together, I'd love to have you down here. These kids would freak out to watch for them to see you do what you do. And come, like, I, I, it would it would make my day if you can. And so Brett just kept emailing me. And then finally, I put together this lineup of people. We went down there. We didn't have a name still. And he had a videographer that was interviewing us beforehand. And he was like, so what's the name of the bands? Don't have, we didn't have a name still. And Rob, Rob was the guy that was like, yeah, man, you know what we should call ourselves? We should call ourselves just a tip. Because every time you sing Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, that's where I get the name from. So every time I would sing Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, I mean, Trace Chapman, that song is like a Bob Dylan song. There's like six verses, mm. three and three. But in between the first three and the second three, there's this little half a verse. You got a fast car. It's fast enough. We could fly away. You got to make a decision. Leave tonight. Live and die this way. That's it. Then goes to a chorus instead of a full verse. And every time I would do that, I got to just saying, oh, here comes. I would just say just the tip before I would sing that little verse, that little half verse. So he goes, usually just as a joke, you should just call us just a tip. And I went to the videographer and he asked the band's name and I said the name and then the rest. That's that's how the band name came about. And so, we shortened it to JTT after a while. Um, and because of the name of the band, you know, we, we, we couldn't use it for a lot of the high end events that we were using. There was like some we can't use the name like that's fine. And they just went with, you know, Brian from Green Jeans with his new band. If we were doing like private events for private school fundraisers down in DC and Bethesda or, you know, other things. We do this amazing, amazing event every year. Um, JTT does for Down Syndrome Kids with Tribute 21. Um, it's just the most, it, I get to bring them all up on stage and dance with them and sing and everything. And so something like that, you know, we, we're just called JTT or we're just called Brian with the, the things, but you know, that's how the band name came about if you were going to ask it. So there it is. Yeah. yeah. So when the band kind of formed and, yeah. you know, Rob obviously used to play in the band. Um, yep. Obviously Harry is in the band as well. Like what did the green jeans guys think about this? Uh, I think I never really had any direct conversations with them, but I, I would assume that some of them felt probably hurt maybe, or, or just maybe a double take. Um, and maybe some of them thought that that was my plan the whole time, the whole time along, which it wasn't. Right. Um, I really well, had clearly you can see that that's not, that that wasn't yeah. the case because you know, the... um, but I, I, I guess, look, I mean, I, I, I really don't know. And I never want to just assume and, just to say things for whatever sake, but I assume some of them were were hurt to a degree or just surprised or whatever. Um, but it really it 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 happened out of necessity from promoters and venue owners that were asking to kind of like, you know, maybe get a little bit of flavor back. I I don't know. And it was always something, uh, the other part where it was never going to be a regular thing. Like it was never going to be 
on the reg. Right. Every now and then I want to do it to get my rocks off as a front man again, because again, I, you know, I was able to take the acoustic off and be a front man again. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's what it did. So how many, it gave me the how, opportunity, it gave me the opportunity to, to revisit that stuff and to be a front man again after a while. Right. Yeah. So how many shows do you think you've done this year with just the tip? Would you say do this, you... this, this year it would be the most that we've ever done. Okay. We normally would do like 10 a year, maybe. Okay. maybe Post pandemic, even during the, right. Yeah. Yeah. Post COVID 2022, there was a handful last year, but this year we probably have done 30. Wow. It's the most we've ever done. Maybe a little bit more. I have to count it up, but uh, yeah, around 30, which is the most. And, and you know what? I have to be honest that, that that's, that's fine. That number is fine for me. Okay. I think doing any more, it's not something that I want to, again, you know, it's like, I, I'm a big fan of the only bar that we actually, actually play on the regular is the starboard, the band, just a tip. But as far as public stuff, everything else is really just events, private events. Um, St. Patrick's day events, you know, yeah. New Year's Eve events, things like that. Um, but, uh, and that's how I like it. And that's how the guys like it too. We've just got a really great understanding of where we're going, what we're doing, what we aren't doing. And everybody in the band is just solely on board with it, which is, which just makes it easier, especially right. being, me being so much older now and, you know, getting tired a lot quicker and uh, everything else. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the cancer diagnosis. Um mm -hmm. And how that obviously completely changed your life around, um, yep. you know, the, the struggle, the, the, you know, where you're at now, you know, just kind of talk to the audience about that. Okay. When did this happen? Go back to, you know, that time. Our final show, the final show of Green Jeans in April of 2013 at Xfinity Live. That was in 2013. A year prior to that, um, going away to Lauderdale three times a year, Turks and Caicos I was at, Anguilla, um, I had noticed coming back like a lesion on my, on my lip, not inside and on the outside, but actually right on the lip. And then it would go away, and then it would come back. And it was, I say lesion, but it was just really something that, you know, I went to a doctor who took me to a, a oral surgeon or dentist first, then an oral surgeon to take a look at it. Um, only when it surfaced, because it was never always there. Mm -hmm. It perplexed them as well. At one point, when it finally came back and didn't look like it was going away, that April, just after that final show, I had my first biopsy on my lip. Um, I want to say it was in late May or early June. First biopsy, because the oral surgeon just was like, look, we got to see what this thing is, because now it's not going anywhere. It's staying there. And it came back as um, some, some early form of skin cancer with minor dysplasia, which is a term where you have three different levels of dysplasia of, uh, on the skin. I think with skin cancer, 
um, there's different terms than just regular cancer that, that. To keep it kind of short, the biopsy was done and the thought process was that we got it, it's not gonna come back. The thing about it was it just kept growing back and growing back and growing back. And I think from, from 2013 to 2017, over a four year span, I must have had over 23 biopsies done on the lip. They just kept cutting it. And, and looking back on it now, each time that they cut it, the, 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 the activity of abnormal cells were increasing. It would change. And um, because of where it was, like it was on the lip, not inside, but where it was, and as a singer, that's really all they wanted to do. And I kind of deferred to the oral surgeon all these, all those times, and my dermatologist at that point, once I finally started seeing a dermatologist, because I'd never seen one before in my life, right. um, was to just keep biopsying it and try to keep it up, because, because you were a singer. And every time I biopsied, I had to take time off. I didn't like talking about it. I hid it from my family for the, for for years actually, and made up excuses while I why why I didn't gig for two weeks to get the heal, um, because uh, it was a very private thing to me. I had to come clean, obviously, to certain people, um, sometimes owners, but sometimes I just didn't, and I just didn't. I, it was one of the benefits of booking myself. I just didn't book myself. If I needed time to heal the lip to close before I could actually sing again and stretch the lip out. Um, but long story short, by, by 2017, um, the lesion had turned into a couple lesions. One was white, one was black. You know, something was fucking wrong. And so I went to dermatologist early they did a scrape and that's when it came back that it was actually uh, a squamous cell carcinoma finally in the pathology report to a certain level two or so i i, I can't recall yeah. but that was when they sat me down i was like brian we need to do something here so we want to ask you and i was like at that point being cut so many times I was like, look, let's just do whatever we need to do. I just want it out because I, I still enjoy singing. I said, but where does this put me singing wise? Um, I think that the biggest thing that was their concern was obviously, again, to back up just a second was that final pathology report with the squamous cell also indicated that it was growing down for the first time into my mouth getting close to the lymph nodes right here. That was a big red flag for them. Right. Dermatologist then said, we got to do something now. And so really quickly, the dermatologist uh, wanted to send me out to another opinion of how to do it. There were things called a vermilionectomy, which is a procedure, which is where they just take your whole lip off below the lip line, get rid of it for people that had what I had and graft skin from the bottom of your foot, wherever to form another lip. That's, so there I am Googling for a million, like you gotta be kidding me. Then there was 
one a doctor I went to another opinion where they were going to do a wedge and you know go ahead and cut a big chunk of the lip out even below the lip line and then push the lip back together and see what and see what becomes of that mm-hmm. they couldn't promise me that I was going to be able to sing again with that procedure either and so finally for whatever reason I decided to go to my I think it was because I had actually had a ENT appointment with my ENT at uh, Thomas Jefferson, Dr. Spiegel. And uh, I told him. And he actually saw it because I hadn't had any surgery done yet. He saw the spots. He was extremely concerned. And he goes, come on, we're going to go upstairs right now. And we went up one floor to um, a oncologist slash uh, cosmetic surgeon. He did both. Dr. Heffelfinger at Thomas Jefferson. And uh, he just took a look, whatever, we scheduled another appointment. And his opinion was, Brian, I don't know if we have to do, we have to take your whole lip off. What if there's a way to treat your lip like I would treat something on somebody's face like a Mohs surgery almost and Mohs surgeries where you just take little bits off little by little while you're under and you get biopsies frozen biopsies done where you know within minutes whether the margins are clear or not and then keep going he goes and I I'm almost positive he said he's never done that before with a lip on the lip and where it was okay he says but I'm willing to give that a shot before those other two options, because those other two options, I don't think you'll ever be able to sing again. So there I am in June of 2017, already in full-fledged summer mode. The summer is booked. People's weddings, everything else, privates, all of that, having to make a choice. My dermatologist and oral surgeon were great. They were like, Brent, whatever you choose, whichever avenue you choose, we're going to be there for you 100%. I think it was because I've had I, I, my ENT was in my corner with this option, who I had four very successful um, throat surgeries with. Um, that I was like, I also, it was the only option where there was a chance that I could be able to sing again. Right. So what So what this Heffelfinger, Dr. Heffel said, listen, I can't promise that I have to go below the lip line because if I do have to go below the lip line, then we're in trouble because since it's growing down, um, but he had this idea where he was going to kind of just do it little by little and keep taking it off until he got clean margins. And instead of grafting whatever skin he was going to take off, he was going to pull, this sounds gross, but it's, it's what he did. He took strands of skin from inside my mouth and pulled it to the area that he had taken off and sewed it to the remaining parts of my lip, like a completely like a Frankenstein's monster stitch job. Mm -hmm. He ended up taking, I think, about 70% of my bottom lip off combined with a percentage on the inside of my mouth. Yeah. But I remember I remember waking up and my sister was there with me and I waking up because the biggest head trip 
the cancer thing I had been dealing with for four years. I just knew it was there. And so I kind of got adjusted to it. The biggest mind trip was out of the blue, just finally being told you could possibly never sing again. That fucked me up. Um, because it was my passion, obviously. And I had to make a decision where, I mean, I had to have it done anyway. So to be able the night before to, to deal with that type of mental anguish where I could wake up tomorrow and have no bottom lip or I could wake up tomorrow and have it and still be able at some point to do something down the road. That was the biggest mind trip of all. But I woke up after the surgery and my sister just leaned over and she just said, it didn't have to go below your lip line. Then I started to, the tears came when I was laying there, which was like awesome. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I found out that he said he got clear margins as well. So that was even a double bonus. And from that day forward, a lot of things in my life changed on my own volition. But what's, uh, I haven't had any issues really with my lip at all from that day forward, except for one little um, spot that came up afterwards and just because of what I had been through, they biopsied it right away and you know, everything was cool. So um, that that's how it was. Um, it also, my mind, uh, uh, because this cancer was sun related. So let, let me just get, I should have said that earlier, but it was skin cancer, it was sun related. And despite it not looking like any other cancerous squamous cell carcinoma lesion that you ever looked up online. And I've seen all the pictures. Mine never looked like anybody else's. It just was like a divot, like a hole sometimes. And then it would turn colors. It just was a thing, a freak show on its own. But it was sun related because it, that's how it would come back pathology report wise. And I was a sun god growing up. I love getting tan and all this. But this was something that didn't happen recently. It happened after just being in the sun for 30 years, yeah. whatever, but that back in the day. And I will say, full disclosure, is since the lip in 2017, I have unfortunately found, gotten five to seven melanomas on my body. A couple of them were really deep. Actually, one was extremely deep on my shin. We had to take six layers. I had to go down six layers. Um, so I've got scars all over me. But look at for me, honestly, like it is what it is. I changed my lifestyle after the lip thing. Um, stopped drinking on the regular. Like I, I was sober for six years, five years afterwards. And only now do I indulge every now and then um, when I feel more comfortable to do it. But my diet's changed. And, you know, it's like and I, I, I just I live a different lifestyle now uh, to try to protect all of the cells that are in my body to stay where they are and to not become abnormal cells. Obviously I can't control all of those, yeah. but I live a life now that I try to. And um, it is uh, something that I, how it's the way I live now. I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine going through that whole process for that long. And, and again, like you said, like just knowing that the possibility of not being able to do something that you've loved Ugh. that has become, you know, that's, that's provided you financial success 
and that goes all away you know like that's just yeah and i can't i can't also stress that you know it was equally as hard to call those brides and the grooms and the tell the people that chose me to be the musician the entertainment for their wedding day and say i couldn't do it and of course they were all so understandable it's like no 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 it's like but you don't but it it tore me up like if i could have foregone the surgery another month just to play those weddings for those people and there's certain shows i would have done it but my but they wouldn't allow it the doctors were like we got to do this now because it's close and it's rapidly getting close to your lymph nodes and then who knows at that point if it had already we had caught that a little later the lymph nodes i i don't think there would have been any option like heffelfinger's option it would have been we got to go out, just take it off and go from there. So, yeah. but it's very, it's very hard to say no to, it was so, so hard mm-hmm. to go on Facebook and come clean and tell everybody, be honest and say why I'm going to be missing these months and all that. And not to get too preachy about anything. Right. That's not my style. Just isn't. And um, to just do my thing and try to get back to doing what I absolutely fucking love. And, uh, Thank God that, I, that, and here I am still doing it. Thank God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let's talk about, I mean, again, this has been 30 years since you guys have been a band, since you've been doing this. Talk about some relationships that you have built through people, through either in this industry, fans, you know, I know you had a special relationship with Allie, um, you know, talk about some of those relationships that you've had throughout, you know, that, that, that this music career has brought to you. You know, there is a, I think, honestly, I, I've talked about venue owners and, and things like that long enough. I, I want to talk about, yeah, I want to talk about the, the, the people. Yeah. Just mean. You know, you, you, if you dumb it down, you're just in a band and you're just some singer that is just singing other people's music. If you dumb it way down. If you're aware enough to understand that even that's that and, 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 that, and that you're selling beer and you're selling, you know, right. if you're aware enough to realize that you're also actually, um, and I, you know, whoever watches this, this is not coming from a, a big headed ego avenue at all, but you have to be aware and that you are changing people's lives with what you do. And if you're not doing that, you're bringing certain groups of people together because of this entity that you're in and because of what you do for a living that for that these people that are being brought together then form a friendship with each other and then form a friendship with you and it just it becomes a lifelong bond it truly is and i get emotional talking about it because there are like these these pockets and i could go i could i could sit here with you man and list every town that Green Jeans are popular in and that I play in now 
on the regular and just run down a list of a circle of people that I, in, in these 30 years, I had maybe just a three, four relationship with. Like for three or four summers, these were my people at the bottle and cork at jam session. You know, these, and then I ended up playing some of their weddings once they ended up getting married, things like that. And then there are people that you just, be, you know, I'm going to talk about for me personally, I'm a front man. I'm very shy off stage. I'm very quiet off stage. But in the on stage, I'm obviously not that. But I also purposely separate my on stage life and my off stage life because I can't do one. I can't do the on stage life without this quiet off stage. I just can't. I can't do it. So I'm, I am a reckless recluse. I, I, I hide out at my house. I'm extremely introverted when I'm not at work. But you meet people, you become friends with people, and you bond with people um, more so than just being like, oh, yeah, they're, they're a fan. They're here all the time and they're in the front row. This is genuine. These are genuine relationships that I had, um, that I have. And all of them, they just, it's why I still do what I do. And I can see their faces now and I get emotional thinking about it and these are people that are still with me you take somebody like ali who is just um one of the most amazing fans music heads we bonded on so many different levels talking music whatever and somebody like her who's never smoked a cigarette in her life gets stage four lung cancer out of the blue and she was part of this huge posse down in virginia and dc and it extended into ocean city maryland and dewey beach especially and we all knew Allie P and then she has this cancer diagnosis and she was only given a couple months to live, I think, or not that long. Yeah. Uh, and, and then she ended up living for like two years, two and a half, maybe longer. And then she lost her battle. And um, then there were a few more people along the way uh, that I got to know that, you know, if you, see one of my guitars that I play on that I've got their initials like all over my guitar. We've lost, lost too many friends and fans, people to cancer and whatnot throughout the years. But you brought up Allie. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Allie. And she, yeah. uh, we lost her. And it's, it wasn't just Allie. It was Allie and this circle of friends, guys and girls, just in general, that the band even as a whole became so familiar with hanging out with it and that just it happened and i'm not saying that other cover bands don't have this i'm sure every has this there was something special going on with the inner the the relationship between green jeans and the crowd or me and the crowd that per perhaps possibly gave people a little bit more level of comfortableness to try to like break through a barrier or two and to become like genuine friends, uh, whatnot. Um, but I, I, I can't just, I can't talk about the, the, these relationships I have with these people. Um, so many throughout the years and how much it just like, I'm aware of it. I, I went and when somebody will say something is trivial, to a degree of like you, you were like the soundtrack of our lives or the soundtrack of our summers for so long. Um, I'm sure a lot, I, I think it's just, it's such a gift to be able to do what people like me do for a living 
And um, I'm sure that gets said to a lot of front men and front women and bands in general, though, where people say that to them. And it, it has to be the most amazing compliment. It is to me. I could take it so much to heart because I'm not playing my own. I'm not playing my own music. And so for someone to say that just in general to just. Uh, that's why it's so great with Green Jeans reunion shows to see these people come out and spend the money to buy the ticket or travel to go and just to live their former younger life, just one more night with those people. And they end up seeing those people that they saw in the summer of 26 that they hung out with for a little while, whatever. I, I can't, I can't say enough about it. it. It It is what gets me up in the morning still to be able to put my guitar on and go do a JTT show or solo show or green jeans reunion show. It just is. And you know what? At the end of the day, again, I'm a realist one day that won't be, like I, it won't be the thing that gets me up out of bed. Like something will change maybe down the line where, where it's, it's, it, it, something will change and I will go, it's time for me to just, it's time. That time isn't now. Um, but, uh, those people, they're fucking everything to me. Yeah, they really are. So let's. I want to talk about the 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 final show, and then I mm. want to talk about the reunion shows because I think that's yep. a good segue. So when the final show comes about, Xfinity Live is the venue. Was Xfinity Live the venue originally, or what was that process like choosing a venue to be able to handle the the crowd that you were guys were going to expect for? this last show how did like t talk about that process like behind the scenes as well as like leading up to it i think it was always the venue because it was something that rick probably suggested from the get-go okay as the we, we knew it was going to be in philly because it was late april we wanted i think we wanted it to be outdoors okay i don't know how new xfinity live actually was it was pretty new I, i'm gonna yeah, say it was okay. probably within a year or two of it being open yeah okay the cool thing was Xfinity Live was run by this other, this bigger corporation, I think called Cordish. And Cordish had all the lives. So we had already been playing Power Plant Live for years. So we had inns there, Rick had inns there. And because, you know, we were a Philly-based cover band, our final show was going to be in Philly. As far as like the logistics of everything, I stayed out of. Yeah. I think Rick, Rick did try to involve the band a little bit more to a degree. Um, there were other promoters. I know Johnny Fat and and Timmy or Johnny Fat and Jared Tutlow went and took a walk and walked the site and everything with the guys from Xfinity and Cordish and Rick one time. If you, I, I kind of stayed out of that. Like I was just focused on how, what set list, what songs from a twenty year span are going to be in this and what aren't. And so I just kind of let them do their thing and, was, and we went from there. But. Um, the the it was a big production we had a choir to do the beginning with us um which we came about through lancaster uh through the chameleons final show we did in january so we did a couple songs like three or four songs with the choir behind us then the rest was just us we were i remember we were on a time constraint we had to be done by a certain time with the curfew the cops were going to shut us down unfortunately I had to cut like three songs in the third set because 
They decided to change the curfew at the last minute, like 20 minutes earlier, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but even if that wasn't the case, and we we just we just I had to cut things, and it, but really bummed me out. So we had we got it as much as as we did, and it was a hell of a night, man. I you know I I don't know what the final number was. Some people said there were eight thousand people there. Some people say at some point, given where there was up to ten thousand people out there. I mean, um, there was, was a lot of people. There <laughs> I was a lot. That. Of people. There was a lot of people. <laughs> there was a lot of love. There was a lot of love that night. Yeah. And honestly, the it it wasn't emotional for me because it was, it wasn't emotional for me until we moved into the Victory Beer Hall VIP area, like that night, because it was, it was it was so uh such a well-oiled machine that like this was very structured it had to go as planned we were on time i didn't have time to really yeah let it sink in until maybe the last set when i realized i had to cut a couple songs unfortunately but it wasn't until we got inside and it was much more intimate everybody had a couple drinks as well and we were doing these songs that we didn't do outside that we're doing inside just for this smaller group and then we started playing with or without you. And then that's and I, you know, that's that's when it all hit finally. And uh I was a mess for most of the song. I don't even think I was able to even sing partly any of it. So yeah, you had a rough time. You you, yeah. you did. You had a rough time. Um yeah. which obviously rightfully so. And and you know, it's because I, I didn't know what was coming next. I, I this was it with my guys, with my fucking soldiers uh our partners my partners in crime with for so many years and you know playing those four hearing those four chords of with or without you which was such a huge song for us like it just was all there people in the crowd was was, was were emotional we were emotional and uh but there you know i i didn't think did i make a mistake I, that that wasn't there right. it was just this is it it's time but it's hard it's hard now. It's really hard right now. Yeah. During that song. Did you guys have a uh like a, a pre like conversation before you went on, like a little rah-rah, or was it kind you of you know the way it was set up? Um, there are people that bought VIP uh tickets, had like this separate area where they were they got pizza, I think, or something, and the band was there to to mingle with. Oh, okay, okay. So we were there. It okay. really wasn't much. We were never really a big get together rah rah kind of thing, you know. No pre no pre show rituals that you guys would get together. Doing no, you doing. know, Timmy. Yeah. Timmy was a Timmy is a guy that he started at some point towards the end, like behind the kit, going hey, and he would go like this. We would all give him a little love, go around each person, and um, I think that happened like around our last jam session at the bottle and cork, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it was that. But we knew what was going on. It, it was more like that, like just let's get it on, let's do it. Yeah. You know, we did a lot of hugs at, at the end. You know, a lot of circle stuff afterwards, but not a lot of pre stuff. Okay. So, what led to, and whose idea was it when you first started doing? Because the reunion, when was the first reunion show? How long did you wait after you guys were not a band anymore? You know, I always thought it was three years. But it turned out to be only around two and a half or okay. almost three years. So it was December of 2015. Okay. Thinking and about it. At? Running of the Sanders at the Electric Factory. Okay. Yes, that's right. I always thought looking back on it, oh, we didn't do ours till our first in December of 2016. 
So really it was, you know, two years and May, June, July, August, September. Yeah, so two and a half years, two years and six months. So what led to that happening? Like, did, yeah, like what? It was, it was the promoters. They reached out. We had okay. Green Jeans had done running of the Santas a few years back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Whether it was at, where would they started at McFadden's, yeah. Third or like First a factory, and yeah. Then was, yeah. So I think it it wasn't my idea. It wasn't the band's idea at all. I don't think there was a thought back then of doing a reunion show at all yet. Maybe there was something in the back. I was like, oh yeah, we'll do something down the line. Who knows? But I would. But it was the promoters that reached out and said. You know, maybe it could have been like their twentieth year of running this. I I don't know, okay. but they it it was them that reached out and said asked if we were interested, which sparked the conversation, which sparked them taking us out to dinner to discuss it a little bit more. Rick was not involved. Um, it was all on me and Johnny uh, to work out the Logistics. business end of it. Yep, right. yep, yeah. it was all that, and to figure out you know things like that and. And so it, it was on them. And so they're the ones that reached out. We decided it was going to be something that we wanted to do. And then the rest kind of it uh, just went from there as far as that night goes. And it was an amazing night. Like it was, um, even though it was only two and a half years. It felt like then, forever. It, it felt really like forever. It did. It did. Because, like... because uh, I mean, you're, you're speaking from somebody who was there. Yep. I'm speaking from the band where we kind of, it's not that we didn't speak. We did still speak to each other, but I didn't see those guys. We all started doing different things. Some guys did nothing. So we never, I never saw, I hadn't seen those guys. So just to get back up on the horse and go to rehearsals and play some of these songs like OAR Shattered again and to play at rehearsals just like, oh shit, here we are. We're in it now, boys. We're in it now. Let's go. So it was, but yeah, it did seem like a lot longer than two and a half years. But you had no like second guessing about doing it? Like, because again, you kind of were the one that kind of. I think the only second guessing was in passing. I could have very well, and I can't say this, I could very well possibly said, I'm into this personally, since I was the guy that kind of started the whole, I'm not into this. Right. You know? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Right. Where I was like, look this can't become anything more than what it is for two reasons. I personally don't want it to be something more. I mean, just the tip wasn't even a thing yet. Right. Even right, at that point, right. but I still didn't want it to become a thing because we spent so much time saying goodbye. We spent from August of 2012, late August of 2012, to um april of 23 or 13 yes, yeah saying right. goodbye yep. of a final show to uh to these people so it, it didn't seem right to me it just seemed like well that'll make us look like frauds even though a lot of people are like you should just come back and maybe some of the guys in the band did want to start playing regularly again i didn't think it was the right thing to do and i also didn't want to right it was it would, would be like it. it'd be like kiss doing a farewell tour and then two years later doing another farewell yeah. tour <laughs> yes. yes right i yes. feel you i feel like you. make up your minds now i still get my balls broken every now and then because oh here's your another reunion show. like 
there are people that still break more stones but like what's going on are you guys together or not but if they really stop and think about it just keep their mouth shut and look at it they're like oh so it looks like they're really only going to they're only doing one or two shows a year that they're not back they're just doing maybe one or two reunion shows a year if it fits that's what that's what's happening and that's what we're doing so that's basically what how the Jurgle shows came out in January. That it just yes. it fit for everybody. It worked. It's they a, reached you know, out to you. It, it's it, you put it simple. Someone will reach out to me and ask about a reunion show, a Green Jeans reunion show, and I'll go through logistics with them to see if it's feasible. Um, and then many times it, it's not, and then there are then there are times that it 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 is, and uh, then. There was one year, and I don't know what year it was, maybe it was 2017, that we did four reunion shows in one year, and it was just too much. You could, I, I want it to be special, as special as anything. Every time that I get the boys back together and the five of us get up on that stage mm -hmm. and make some magic happen, because every time we get together, that's what goes down. Um, but I wanted to be special for the people. And, you know, that's probably the business side of me as well, events and everything. But it also has to be a venue where it can hold enough people where it's uh, people aren't going to go. Why did you just you you're doing one night at a 500 capacity that the, it doesn't work like you can't. Right. We would get more flack for doing something like that. So a lot of pieces have to fall together for it to work. Um, but when it does, man, it, it works. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's do a little wrap up then. Um, yep. you know, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. Um, it, it mean, you don't know how much this means to me again. It's so cliche, like you said, to say that it, you guys were the soundtrack of my life, but for, you know, since two, th since I was 21, yeah. like, that's 24 years, like. I've seen you guys play. So it's just, it's just a huge honor to be able to talk to you and really kind of, you know, kind of take a deep dive into this and, yeah. and really. And you, thanks man. And... Thanks for fine. I'm glad we finally were able to get this rolling. Yeah, absolutely. So ladies and gentlemen, Brian O'Boyle from Mr. Green Jeans, current lead singer of just the tip solo style as well. Uh, Brian O'Boyle jams on Facebook, correct? With a Z. Brian O'Boyle jams with a Z. <clears throat> Yeah, that that's how you can check out his schedule. You're on Instagram as well. Instagram Brian FMGG still. That's how that my handles on that and X as well. Same. Yeah. And what do you got uh, going on this weekend? Any shows this weekend? Yep, I'm down in North Wildwood Friday. Private jam on Saturday. Tonight, go Phils. Go Phils. Heading, to, heading up to the ballpark. <laughs> as you should, my friend. Well, nice. thank you all so much. I have been dog. You've been great. This is the Music Lab podcast. <laughs>